We're good. We're good when you Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. The Sacramento City Council, please come to order. Would the clerk call the roll, please, to establish a quorum? Certainly. Member Kaplan? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Talamantes? Here. Member Valenzuela? Here. Vice Mayor Maple? Here. Member Guerra, I believe, is going to join us a little later. Member Jennings? Here. Member Vane? Here. Mayor Steinberg? Here. We have a quorum. Very good. If would everyone rise, I'll be I'll be leading us in the land acknowledgement and the Pledge of Allegiance. To the original people of this land, the Nisanon people, the Southern Maidu Valley and Plains Miwok, Patwin Winton peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Well, a very good afternoon uh, to all of you. This is our, I believe, fourth straight afternoon workshop where we are sort of pre-staging uh, the budget debate and discussion and deliberations that will occur uh, during the spring months of this year. And as you know, we have a problematic budget. And so this uh, allows us to really dive in, in some detail, away from the individual decisions about what's happening within all of our city departments. And we've been through most of them. And today now we, um, we, we talk about some of the very important um, internal departments, so to speak, uh, of the city, information technology, support services, finance, and everything else. And our assistant city manager, Lainey Milstein, is here to lead us through that. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. Uh, my name is Lainey Milstein, and I'm the assistant city manager over what I'll refer to as the city support department. As without these departments, all of the efforts that have been shared with you over the last month would not have the resources necessary to hire and manage employees, develop and manage the budget, procure the goods necessary, process required contracts, and provide the technology required to deliver their programs and services. Before I introduce you to the HR, finance, and IT directors, <clears throat> I'd like to take a moment to publicly thank Russ Fair, our former city treasurer, for hiring me 19 years ago last week. For the record, my hair was brown back then. <laughs> I followed in Russ's footsteps until I became an assistant city manager, but I want to assure our city treasurer, John Colville, I do not want to be city treasurer. Almost 20 years ago, I thought my time at the city would be a stop for a few years. Learn how local government works, then move on. But the city of Sacramento is like family to me now, a slightly dysfunctional family sometimes, but who isn't, and I wouldn't trade that family. In addition to HR, finance, and IT, you'll hear, from, uh, you'll hear from today, I'm also responsible for oversight of the city's Office of Cannabis Management, overseen very capably by Davina Smith. OCM is responsible for creating and enforcing the city's regulatory structure for cannabis businesses. As of February 9th, the city has 291 permitted businesses with another 61 in process, and the city's only explicit equity program. I've been with the city since we began regulating cannabis and I'm very proud to see where our regulatory framework stands today, having built, been built from the ground up since 2010. It continues to be a work in progress, as is the nature of developing a new regulatory structure for something that was uh, previously illegal within the past decade. 
And I know with the great work from the city's interdisciplinary team from the community development department, the city attorney's office and the police department that we will continue to progress. And now to my introductions. Much like the city manager serves you nine electeds, the support departments serve eight operating departments, four additional charter offices exclusive of the city manager's office, mayor and council offices in the public. Each customer has their unique needs and our job is to address as much of that uniqueness as possible within legal and regulatory requirements while preserving consistency that creates a structurally sound framework for operations and is fair equitable and professional. These departments support the people, the money and the technology necessary to deliver the city's programs and services. While most of the work that happens in the support departments are in service to internal customers, some of our work is outward facing and you'll hear about that during the forthcoming presentations. Amongst us all, we have a combined 58 and a half years of service with the city. Most of us through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I couldn't be prouder to work with these great leaders and all of those who you've already heard from every day. First, you'll hear from Shelley Banks Robinson, our Human Resources Director. Shelley has served in this capacity since September of 2017. She is a human resource professional with approximately 30 years of human resources and management experience across the public and private sectors. She began her career with the city in 2002 as a senior staff assistant in HR and has worked her way up the management ranks. Prior to her appointment as a director, she served as the labor relations manager starting in 2013. In that role, she was the chief negotiator for the city. Shelley is originally from Alabama and when she visited Sacramento in 1993, she fell in love with the people in the area and apparently the dysfunctional family as well. And she decided to stay in Sacramento, the Sacramento region due to the diverse makeup of this region and cannot imagine living and working anywhere else. Then you'll hear from Pete Coletto, our new, and we still get to call him new, uh, finance director, but I think after this year's budget process, which tends to age people in a time similar to dog years, we'll be calling him a seasoned veteran. As I just mentioned, Pete is the new guy and has served as the city's finance director since July of 23. Pete is a finance professional with approximately 20 years of experience across the public and private sectors and I already know after just eight months, we are lucky to have him. Prior to joining the city, Pete was at the County of Alameda where he was the finance director for the social services agency and held multiple roles in the county administrator's office. At the county, he was responsible for the development and management of the annual county budget, capital improvement plan, financial forecasting, risk management, procurement and, procurement and contracting, obtaining federal and state reimbursement and other projects. Before joining the public sector, Pete worked in the commodities trading and business development. And then finally, you're here from Darren Arcolino, our information technology director. Darren has more than 25 years of experience in leading teams through IT transformation and organizational change within the public sector. For the past 17 years, he worked in the city's IT department in progressively responsible roles and has established himself as a proven leader focused on building diverse teams and bringing results. Before he was appointed the CIO in April of 2023, he worked as the assistant director for six years where he managed effective and efficient day-to-day -day IT operations. Darren has lived in, in the Sacramento area for his entire life me too, and has pledged to serve his community to build an inclusive government striving for equitable access to essential services. He takes pride in creating a high performance workplace culture that attracts and retains diverse talent that reflects the community in which we serve. Darren holds a BS in business administration with a concentration in management information systems from CSU Sacramento. 
And I know that this is the time when I'm supposed to say stingers up, but as an Aggie, I'm going to have to let that go. Go Aggies. That said, let's start our presentations this afternoon by hearing from Shelley Banks Robinson and our Human Resources Department. I can say go stingers up. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, I just wanted to start out, I'm going to be sitting, and I want to apologize for sitting, I want to apologize for two reasons. One, that I'm not standing to present to you. I recently had a surgery and can't st stand for lengthy amounts of time. Um, but two, just that it's lengthy. So please sit. <laughs> no need to apologize. <laughs> See, are these, they're on, okay. Uh, Let's hope I remember to click through all mine. Okay. And as Lenny said, I am Shelley Banks Robinson, your Human Resources Director. Uh, it's my pleasure to share with you today the services the Department of Human Resources provides and how our efforts support not only our city's operating departments in their efforts to serve our community, but also your council priorities. While working in collaboration with city departments and employees, Human Resources strategically supports the city in attracting, developing, retaining, and supporting a highly skilled and diverse workforce, addressing regulatory and statutory requirements, and creating and maintaining relative processes and systems to build bridges of opportunity where appropriate. Uh, I just wanted to say I will be reading quite a bit of this today. Uh, it's a lot of information, but it's important, and I don't want to misspeak. So... Uh, the Department of Human Resources provides programs and services to internal and external customers, always striving to ensure a positive customer experience. To achieve this, Human Resources consist consistently models inclusive behavior by respecting and valuing coworkers and customers, taking pride in what we do, and delivering first-class service. We demonstrate these values through transparent business practices and by communicating openly and timely while simultaneous simultaneously respecting confidentiality. Human Resources is comprised of six divisions, as you can see on the screen, and I will go into each of these divisions. Um, the first one being HR Administration, which reports to me, the Office of the Director. So we'll talk about the budget. The following provides details on the department's budget. For those who may want to review it in detail, it can be found on page 219 of the city's fiscal year 23-24 approved budget. As you can see, the department receives a little more than $5 million in general funds from our op for operations. However, the general fund pays into the risk management and workers' compensation funds, which we call internal service funds. They're also a part of our department's budget. I'll provide additional detail on how those funds are used later in my presentation. On HR's authoritative sources, before we discuss the nuances of each HR division, it's important to note the different laws, regulations, rules, contracts, and policies that guide our work. This slide shows some, but certainly not all, of the authoritative sources guiding HR work. These sources play a pivotal role in ensuring the integrity, legality, and effectiveness of HR practices within our organization. These sources, which may include industry standards and best practices, legal statutes, and regulatory guidelines, serve as the foundation which city HR policies, procedures, and decisions are built. Uh, as I was saying, our first division in HR is the HR Admin Division. 
They work within the Office of Director. Our three-person Human Resources Administration team is led by Cynthia Springer, who is here in the audience. Cynthia. Uh, she serves as the main point of contact for the department, and in 2023, our team responded to over 2,000 emails and 700 calls requesting assistance. Our team also develops and coordinates approvals for HR's council reports, manage the, manages the approval process for appointment letters and salary justifications, and coordinates HR's response to about 100 PRAs each year. In addition, we manage HR sourcing events and contracts, several other reporting activities, including and the, uh, the required annual conflict of interest reporting for HR staff. One of the more memorable responsibilities of the HR admin team is to organize and facilitate the city's annual years of service employee recognition event. This is an event where we recognize and celebrate employees with a minimum of 25 years of service. The 2023 event celebrated 177 attendees as we were playing catch up for events missed during COVID. Our second division is our benefits division. It's led by Samantha Hardy, who is also in the audience. Samantha. Benefit Services manages enrollment, eligibility, and participation in employee and retiree benefit programs for thousands of participants, such as health insurance, retirement plans, life insurance, disability coverage, and other voluntary benefits. They provide information, resources, and guidance to employees and retirees about available benefit options, coverage details, enrollment procedures, and any changes or updates to the benefits program. Benefit services plays a critical role in supporting the city's over 5,000 retirees by ensuring that they have access to the benefits they are entitled to, assisting them with transition into retirement, and providing ongoing support and communication to help them navigate their benefits in retirement. The number of retirees receiving retiree health benefits from the city now outnumbers the number of active employees. That's significant in our eyes. Benefit Services manages several retirement plans, including the California Public Employees Retirement System, known as CalPERS. This plan currently has 4,574 retirees or beneficiaries receiving pensions and 983 active employees eligible for retirement. Again, that's 983 active employees eligible for retirement is almost, a, or it's around a quarter of our workforce. We manage the city, Sacramento City Employees Retirement System, known as SCRS. This plan has one active employee remaining in that plan with an additional 775 retirees and beneficiaries. We also manage the Mission Square Retirement Plan, this plan requires mandatory participation in eight plans for the retiree health savings accounts. And lastly, the Nationwide Retirement Solutions Plan has um, four 401A plans requiring mandatory city and employee contributions and one 457B plan that allows for voluntary employee contributions. While I didn't break the rule by giving you a list of bullets you can't read on a slide, but I did want to share, and apologies in advance, some of the 2023 accomplishments of our benefits services team. Those accomplishments include annual open enrollment for 3,944 employees, 3,468 retirees, 10,101 individual health plan enrollments for employees and their dependents, 22,049 individual health plan enrollments for retirees and their dependents, 
1,920 annual employee orientations, 720 annual 457B enrollment and contribution changes, 864 family status benefit changes, 14,136 retiree health deductions from CalPERS. We managed 31 unique health benefit plans. We reconciled 6.8 million a month in health benefit premiums, managed eight retiree health savings plans with 2,395 active, actively contributing participants and 18 plus million in assets, managed four 401 plans with 1,174 actively contributing participants with 127 plus million dollars in plan assets, managed one 457B plan with 2,852 actively contributing participants and 510 plus million dollars in plan assets. We also responded to 120 employment claims. In support of Council's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Initiative, Benefit Services worked with the IT department to identify and implement creative ways to continuously improve the annual open enrollment event. Streamlining the process allowed for the city to make information more readily available and accessible for all staff. To contribute to Council's Fiscal Sustainability Initiative, Benefit Services completed employee and retiree enrollment audits in dental and vision plans. This helps us control the costs associated with dental and vision benefits by identifying any discrepancies or inefficiencies in enrollment. It ensures that only eligible, uh, eligible employees and dependents are enrolled in the plans, minimizing unnecessary expenses for the city. We plan to audit the medical enrollments in the upcoming months. Additionally, benefits has improved the CalPERS retiree health deduction conciliation process. Having an accurate reconciliation process in place helps us to avoid unnecessary cost associated with incorrect deductions or potential administrative errors. Okay, and on to our third division. Created in 2018, the Office of Diversity and Equity, referred to as ODE, led by Ami Zinzele Barnes, who is in the audience, Ami, uh, is committed to leading efforts to build a more representative, equitable, and inclusive city of Sacramento. ODE's mission is to embed equity, inclusion, and equity, oh, three times, diversity, equity, inclusion into our policies, protocols, practices, and workplaces. As one of the nation's most diverse cities, Sacramento has made a commitment to creating equitable outcomes that serve our black, indigenous, and people of color communities. The ODE team operates under a framework that includes the Global Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Benchmark Model, created by the Center for Global Inclusion. The framework provides standards for organizations around the world that provides a means of measurement, a strategic planning tool, and a set of actions that may be taken at an organizational, organizational and individual level to do good diversity work. The second framework comes from the Governmental Alliance on Race and Equity, and we refer to them as GARE. GARE is an organization of over 500 local and state level jurisdictions that are working to eliminate racial inequities in, in government. Current priorities include building the diversity, equity and inclusion, and belonging capacity of city staff and infrastructure, achieving workforce equity through an equity lens, and engaging the council and community in equity work. GARE's racial equity analysis embeds results-based measures in decision-making within local governments for racial equitable outcomes. The strategic direction 
help guide the five-year Race and Gender Equity Action Plan, which we refer to as RG, which you'll learn more about in the next slide. Key components of this include normalizing racial equity, which includes routinely discussing and analyzing racism and racial inequity. Organizing for racial equity involves building relationships and engaging careholders, partners, and leaders to take action to advance racial equity. And operationalizing racial equity involves strategically systematizing and scaling <coughs> racial equity practices, policies, and culture often used by often by using racial equity tools. Sorry, it's a lot of talking, so I'm gonna drink some water as I go. Our three-person Office of Diversity and Equity is committed to leading efforts to build a more representative, equitable, and inclusive city of Sacramento, including working closely with all city departments and offices to ensure that support for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and racial equity is integrated into decision-making, planning, and implementation throughout all structures, services, policies, practices, and procedures. The RG calls for a shared, coordinated, and coll uh, collective response to establish systemic capacity results in workforce equity. The plan includes 14 outcomes initiating from the applicant pipeline to hire to retire. It led to the creation of 16 city department equity teams all engaged in this work. The department equity teams are tasked with focusing on one to two outcomes or actions per year based on a 43 point equity point assessment. ODE was able to successfully hold its first in-person equity team convening in May of 2023. The 14 recommended outcomes and actions in the RG are intended to inspire accountable action to advance workplace equity. In 2024, <coughs> ODE will focus their efforts on administering a second assessment to measure change since the first assessment and identify opportunities for growth. Normalizing and operationalizing these outcomes and actions requires different levels of effort and time spans. Some recommended goals may be accomplished by relatively simple administrative changes. However, most outcomes will require all departments to identify capacity gaps, learn equity-centered practices, leverage resources, and engage in change management processes to achieve systemic change. With the support of the city manager's office, teams across the city are utilizing the interim rapid response tool to anticipate, assess, and prevent potential adverse consequences on different racial groups for our American Rescue Plan funded projects. ODE also provides guidance for employees on racial impact assessments racial and gender equity analyses, and strategic planning. ODE is currently conducting listening sessions throughout 15 city departments to inform the implementation of the Development Equity Leadership Through Action, which is DELTA, capacity building and training initiative at the city to address DEI racial equity learning needs of city staff who serve in a diversity of functions and responsibilities throughout the city. In addition to developing DEI racial equity training for our city staff, the ODE designed and implemented the baseline learning assessment for mandatory DEI racial training for electeds, council staff, and appointed officials in October of 2023. The baseline learning assessment was designed to inform the content and learning objectives of the mandatory DEI racial equity training. In January 2024, ODE presented the Racial Equity Committee an executive report and summary. 
including recommendations for implementing the mandatory training. ODE is currently implementing the direction given at the January 2024 Racial Equity Committee to implement DEI training for 2024. ODE also supports external initiatives to engage the community through participation in the Sacramento Centered on Racial Equity Initiative, known as SCORE. This initiative seeks to address racial equity within the city of Sacramento. This is accomplished through a partnership between the Council's Racial Equity Committee and the Community Racial Equity Alliance and Committee, which is an interconnected network of advocates, advocate, uh, activists, and organizations working together to imagine a bold, vision of racial equity and justice in Sacramento. Initiated in 2022, the SCORE initiative and work plan is a new explorative partnership between the city of Sacramento, Race Forward, which is a national organization dedicated to catalyzing movement, building for racial justice, and local community racial equity leaders in coalition together as the Racial Equity Alliance and Racial Equity Council. The multi-year and multi-phased work plan is designed to transform the city's internal and external structure, policies, and procedures to advance racial equity through four major tasks and phases. Task one, truth-telling and trust-building. Task two, finalize city racial equity re resolution. Task three, develop partnerships and accountability strategy to center communities of color for racial justice. Task four, co-create citywide racial equity work plan with city and community. It's important to note that the work plan of the SCORE initiative is separate and distinct from any internal work relative to implementation of an equity lens to consider programs and policies. While the work of the SCORE initiative will eventually inform this effort, we must provide some time and space for community to complete their work, and then our task will be to update any interim tool or lens to reflect what community and council ultimately move forward with to measure initiatives. Lastly, the citywide racial equity study, which is a study intended to outline Sacramento's racial inequities from a historical lens while establishing baseline indicators and outcomes to guide investments and resource allocation to improve outcomes. A draft RFP has been finalized and is being prepared for review by the city attorney's office. Our fourth division is our Employment Classification and Development Division, and it's known as ECD. It's led by Ebony Heaven, who is also in the audience. They oversee recruitment, classification, compensation, and training in organizational development with the goal of providing applicants a great recruitment experience through the use of inclusive and equitable hiring practices to provide city employees with training and development opportunities and to support city departments in succession planning and workforce development. ECD actively promotes workforce diversity and inclusion. By implementing diversity-focused recruitment strategies, sourcing candidates from diverse backgrounds, and fostering an inclusive hiring process, the city can continue its efforts in building a more diverse and innovative workforce that reflects the community we serve. ECD supports several critical support areas citywide. They're responsible for, for, for facilitating the recruitment process for civil service, exempt, and non-career classifications. This includes receiving and confirming the request to fill a vacancy, manually creating the job posting, screening applications for minimum qualifications, administering a civil service exam where applicable, referring applications to the department for further consideration, facilitating the blind applications process, and processing the personal action upon hire. 
ECD is responsible for developing civil service exams and defending the city's process against civil service appeals resulting from the recruitment process and spends a considerable amount of time advising city departments on the different options for managing positions within their departments. Their scope of work also includes developing, revising, and archiving city class specs, classification specifications, which we commonly refer to as class specs. This process involves working with city departments, recognized employee organizations, referred to as unions, when applicable, and the Civil Service Board. I want to highlight one of ECD's recent initiatives to remove bias from the recruitment process. In 2019, ECD worked with the city applicant tracking vendor, which is NeoGov, to design and implement the blind applications process. This is a process by which a personally identifiable information, such as name, address, contact information, and attachments are removed from the application prior to sending applications to departments for further consideration. The purpose of the blind applications process is to promote fairness, reduce unconscious bias, and enhance diversity in the hiring process by requiring hiring managers to make interview selection decisions based solely on an applicant's qualifications and is served to change the way NeoGov delivers services to other organizations, a fact that I'm very proud to say was led by the demand for the change in our process at the city of Sacramento. Recently, ECD analyzed from our applicant tracking system to assess changes in applicants by ethnicity, applicants interviewed by ethnicity, and applicants hired by ethnicity. Overall, the data indicated that as the applicant pool diversified, the applicant interview pool also correspondingly diversified. The application to interview stage is where the blind applica application process has the greatest impact. Unfortunately, it's not possible to correlate hiring outcomes as an effect of the blind application process as the potential for bias can again enter in the equation. However, given the increased candidate diversity at the interview stage, there are some indicators that it is influencing the hiring process. This can be seen in the City of Sacramento's auditor's office on the City of Sacramento gender and ethnicity dashboard. The data shows that increased diversity of hired candidates starting in 2020 and gradually diversifying further each year thereafter. Since 2020, the range of diverse candidates hired more closely reflects the demographics of the population of the city of Sacramento. ECD analyzed the effects of the blind application process in relation to gender. Across all classifications, there were decreases in applications, interviews, and hiring of women, and a corresponding increase in the hiring of men. There are likely several factors affecting this data, including the effects of the pandemic causing a decrease in women participating in the workforce. Because non-binary applicants could not self-identify in the application process until 2020, an effective analysis could not be completed. However, since allowing applicants to identify as non-binary, there has been an uptick in applicants identifying overall, which will allow for future analysis. Additionally, ECD supports the city's recruitment efforts by attending and recruiting at both public and private career fairs with an emphasis on recruiting in community spaces reflective of the community we serve. ECD provides community-based job talks where ECD personnel can speak to and educate the community about City of Sacramento jobs, the selection process, and provide helpful recommendations and resources relative to becoming a city employee. In the past year, ECD has attended seven career fairs and informational sessions, 
five of which were geared towards generating a pipeline of diverse applicants to fill city positions. So that you may see the scope of ECD's recruitment efforts from January 1 of 2023 through December 31 of 2023, ECD created and managed 601 recruitments. This resulted in a total of 34,237 applications being received across all recruitments and 315 civil service exams being administered as part of the selection process. Because an exam is required as part of the selection process for civil service classes, a total of 220 civil service exams were reviewed by ECD analysts. Their analysis resulted in 104 of those exams needing to be redeveloped using subject matter experts or required substantial revisions to be made by ECD analysts. In 2023, ECD staff processed 9,789 personnel action requests, known as PARs. A PAR is a comprehensive and formal form of documentation that records the various personnel-related transactions in the city. This process requires ECD personnel to be subject matter experts in understanding civil service rules and the applicable labor agreements. During the same time frame, ECD created and revised 11 class specs and reviewed and approved over 110 non-budgeted position requests from city departments. ECD staff provided excellent customer service by responding to 3,185 general employment inquiries. And please note that that number does not include responses provided to inquiries directly sent to individual ECD staff. The city's organizational development program known as OD, which lives in ECD, is a strategic investment in human capital with a goal of creating a more skilled, adaptable, and motivated workforce capable of meeting the evolving needs of the public. The overarching goal of the program is to improve individual and organizational performance, increase efficiency, and foster continuous improvement by enhancing employee knowledge and skills, investing in professional growth, and increasing employee morale. We achieve this by providing several opportunities for employee engagement through on-demand programs and by providing in-person and virtual training opportunities. I'd like to take a moment to highlight some of OD Team's 2023 accomplishments. They successfully created and facilitated five custom consultative projects on city for city departments. This included training departments on process mapping, designing and facilitating meetings, and team building activities. The team was successful in facilitating two cohorts of the supervisory training series, which had over 100 attendees. This training is administered by all divisions in HR and is designed to provide supervisors and managers with information necessary to navigate the HR functions within their roles at the higher level. Two cohorts of the Leadership Challenge were administered both virtually and in person. The Leadership Challenge is a clear evidence-based path that turns the abstract concept of leadership into easy-to-grasp practices and behaviors that can be taught and learned by anyone in any classification willing to step up and accept the challenge to lead. They facilitated four cohort, cohorts of the Women in Leadership with Bold Speaker Series reaching 76 attendees. This series is a bold and unique series designed by women. It gives space to women to share their experiences in leadership and personal and professional growth. Lastly, the OD team successfully provided seven in-person training courses on various topics developed and facilitated 18 virtual training courses and facilitated 74 vendor provided training courses in 2023. The OD team recently took over managing the city's learning management system known as Acumen in 2023 and successfully managed employee assignments to ensure compliance with legislatively required trainings, 
created new courses, and they managed over 10,000 professional online trainings, as well as created custom resources for department use. ECD current initiatives. In pursuit of advancing the city's mission and vision, we are excited to share several future initiatives aimed at driving innovation, fostering growth, and enhancing our impact. As we navigate the dynamic landscape of talent acquisition, I want to emphasize the critical importance of adaptability in our human resources approach, particularly in response to changing recruitment needs. In today's ever-evolving business environment, the demands on our organization and workforce are continuously shifting. This fluidity requires us to be proactive and responsive in tailoring our recruitment strategies to meet emerging challenges and opportunities. The job market is subject to fluctuations influenced by economic conditions, technological advancements, and industry trends. Adapting our <coughs> recruitment approach enables us to stay ahead of these changes and attract top talent in a competitive landscape. Some of the ways ECD is looking to address this is by developing a strategic approach that allows for the city's unhoused population to apply and be considered for employment. Currently, there's an address issue requiring all applicants to provide a physical mailing address as part of the application process. ECD is exploring options to mitigate this barrier to the employment process. The emphasis on diversity and inclusion is transforming recruitment practices. Being adaptable allows us to implement strategies that foster a diverse and inclusive workforce, contributing to innovation and a positive organizational culture. ECD continues to look for ways to expand the city's outreach and pipeline efforts by focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging career fairs. One of the areas of focus in the upcoming years is to identify ways to better engage with older adults to encourage them to consider the city of Sacramento as a preferred employer. We will also explore training and development activities to educate city staff on ways to communicate with older adult community. In the upcoming year, ECD will conclude review of all class specs included in the citywide study. And while I say in the upcoming year, it's really in the upcoming weeks. Uh, class specs are being revised to more accurately reflect the duties of the job to, and to remove barriers in the employment process. ECD has begun rolling out the class specs to unions for review and have begun engaging in unions and discussions of the review process. Technology continues to reshape the recruitment landscape from applicant tracking systems to artificial intelligence and candidate screening. Adaptable HR practices ensure we leverage these technologies effectively to enhance our recruitment processes. ECD is currently exploring an onboarding platform through our applicant tracking system, NeoGov. This platform will allow city departments to better engage with new hires from time of offer and far beyond their first day of employment. This will allow us to better manage candidate expectations by tailoring our recruitment experience to meet the expectations of diverse candidates, thus enhancing our employer brand and attracting top talent. <coughs> Excuse me. And how does ECD support council initiatives? We've made significant strides in advancing our goals and delivering outstanding results. I'd like to take a moment to highlight some of the ways ECD has supported council initiatives, council's DEI initiatives. We've removed gender-specific language and derogatory terminology from class specs and in civil service exams. We've analyzed 576 class specs for consistent and inclusive DEI language pertaining to pronouns, role, and description of attributes. We've revised the 
recruitment, the executive recruitment RFP to include DEI standards for our vendors who facilitate those executive level recruitment. The intent was to be able to work with executive recruitment firms to support the city's DEI initiatives to reach underrepresented individuals and women to fill executive level positions. I'd also like to highlight ECD's efforts in creating a general intern classification intended to provide a pathway to help develop our local workforce and build a pipeline of workers for city employment. This is an entry-level classification designed to provide access to workforce services and employment opportunities and requires no experience and no enrollment in a school program to qualify. Okay, and on to our fifth division, uh, Labor Relations, which is led by Aaron Donato, also in the audience. This division is composed of Labor Relations, Equal Employment Opportunity, and ADA and Leave Administration. Our Labor, ADA, and Leaves, and EEO division strive to facilitate meaningful and effectual communications and agreements for supporting city staff and the city. They are responsible for negotiating all of the city's labor, labor agreements, citywide policies, and department or division policies with our unions, reviewing all proposed discipline, as well as assisting, counseling, and or advising our customers in resolving issues such as employee rights, labor agreement interpretations, and city policy interpretations. Working with and coordinating efforts amongst the nine labor unions and 11 labor agreements and 19 represented and unrepresented units, labor relations services include oversight and management of discipline, workforce administrative investigations, grievances, negotiations, union contract, contract administration, policy development and oversight, employer advocate and special projects, workplace violence responses and threat assessments. Labor Relations strives to establish and maintain positive relationships between the city and its workforce, ensure compliance with labor laws and regulations, resolve disputes effectively, and promote a harmonious work environment conducive to productivity and employee satisfaction. Labor Relations staff must regularly navigate complex legal and regulatory frameworks governing labor relations, including federal and state labor laws and contractual obligations outlined in labor agreements. Ensuring compliance with these laws and regulations while also advocating for the organization's interests can be challenging. In 2023, labor relations successfully managed 148 discipline cases, six labor agreement related grievances, and managed nine threat assessments. Labor relations facilitated contract negotiations with nine labor unions and worked with city departments to update 69 policies. And I'd like to just give a shout out to labor right now because we just closed our last labor agreement for the year. Our EEO office, the Equal Employment Opportunity, which we commonly call EEO, is responsible for promoting and enforcing equal employment opportunities and preventing discrimination and harassment in the workplace. The EEO office works to ensure that all employees, regardless of race, color, religion, sex, national origin, age, disability, or other protected characteristics, are treated fairly and without bias in all aspects of employment, including retirement, hiring, promotion, compensation, training, and termination. This creates a fair, equitable, and inclusive work environment where all employees have the opportunity to succeed based on their skills, qualifications, and contributions, regardless of their background and characteristics. The EEO team is responsible for responding on behalf of the city 
to complaints submitted to external state and federal EEO enforcement agencies. They ensure the city is in compliance with the city's EEO policy and investigate allegations of discrimination, harassment, and or retaliation complaints pursuant to policy. They ensure the city is compliant with its state required training obligations and enhances the city's reputation as a responsible employer in the city in the Sacramento region by timely and thoroughly investigating all allegations of discrimination, harassment, and or retaliation related to the EEO policy. In 2023, the EEO team investigated 96 EEO complaints and successfully closed 77 EEO investigations. Of the 77 closed, only 23 had at least one substantiated EEO allegation. 30% of cases had substantiated findings while the remaining 70% of the cases lacked substantiated findings. The three-person ADA and leave administration team facilitates the effective management of employee leave programs, supports employees' work-life balance, ensures compliance with applicable laws and regulations, and promotes consistency, fairness, and efficiency in leave administration across the city. We do this by assisting employees through the processes, regulatory requirements, and city policies for leaves of absence and ADA reasonable accommodation requests pursuant to the Americans with Disabilities Act and the California Fair Housing Act, and providing technical assistance, guidance, and training on leave and employment-related ADA issues. This includes providing non-industrial leave for eligible employees as required by state and federal law and consistent with the City of Sacramento Civil Service Board rules, city policies, and labor agreements. They also conduct citywide sick leave audits. In 2023, our team processed 1,105 protected and non-protected leave requests. We also reviewed and facilitated 88 reasonable and religious accommodation requests. And now on to our sixth and final division is the risk management division and it's led by Pat Flaherty who is also in our audience. Yes, there he is. The division is composed of risk administration, environmental health and safety and workers compensation. The risk management team is responsible for the employee safety programs for the city, administering all on the job injury claims for city employees and volunteers and for liability claims and insurance. Risk administration manages the city's exposure to various risks of loss related to damage or destruction of city assets. Risk administration workload per includes purchasing and managing insurance policies, liability claims, insurance requirements and contracts, and insurance verifications. They are responsible for providing citywide insurance requirements training and for citywide certificates of insurance coordination. Risk management is responsible for managing insurance policies for excess liability, property, excess workers' compensation, fine arts, crime, pollution, special events, and aircrafts. In 2023, risk management had an operating budget of $60 million. They are an internal service fund with general fund contributions of $34.49 million in general auto and liability and $12.91 million in workers' compensation, totaling a $47.4 million contribution to the general fund. Risk funds are internal service funds and costs are budgeted in our operating departments to demonstrate the full cost of that department and then charge back to the departments. I know this seems like a lot of resources and as you've heard, our costs, costs are going up. 
but you will hear in future slides that our experience and cost are in line with or less than similarly sized benchmark cities. The team provided oversight of 600 liability claims handled by our third party claims administrator, participated in the resolution of litigated cases and attended 30 settlement conferences. Risk management sent 650 claim rejection and insufficiency letters, reviewed 350 permits for proper insurance, and prepared the risk management annual report for city council. The team holds annual risk management meetings with city departments for the purposes of reviewing claims and safety initiatives. They prepared insurance applications, maintained city insurance policies, and prepared data for the liability and workers' comp actuarial reports. Additionally, they processed 150 special events insurance policies for the public and 70 for council events. We reviewed 2,055 contracts for insurance requirements and proper insurance documentation, presented 10 insurance requirements and contract trainings, and provided oversight of 500 subrogation and restitution filings through our recently outsourced subrogation process and collected 505,000 in subrogation and restitution revenue, which was up from 268,000 in 2022. For clarity, subrogation process is damage to city assets caused by a third party and the city's efforts to collect from the responsible party. Restitution is court order payment of damages by a responsible third party when a crime was committed. <laughs> This slide demonstrates the liability benchmarking data from our actuarial firm, which shows that when compared with nine similar sized California cities, the city had 16% lower claim frequency rate and a 47% lower severity, which is the cost of claims rate. The city's self-insured, self-administered workers' comp program is not only the most effective way to deliver workers' compensation benefits to our injured employees and volunteers, but it is also more cost effective than outsourcing to an external contractor. Their streamlined process ensures greater control over claims, faster claim handling, and shields us from unpredictable and exorbitant insurance premiums. The top priorities of the workers' comp claims unit include ensuring fiscal sustainability and regulatory compliance. Most importantly, the unit provides support to all departments, injured employees and volunteers, and ensures a prompt and safe return of staff to the workforce. The team is cognizant of the value of fiscal sustainability and as such have established the cost containment program that has been very effective in reducing cost. They provide support for employees and department staff such as risk assessment meetings, claim reviews, return to work initiatives, and by assisting in the ADA reasonable accommodation interactive process. Additionally in workers' compensation, in fiscal year 23, uh, the unit underwent a review and audit conducted by the excess insurance program called PRISM. The auditors concluded that the city's self-administered program achieved an overall performance score that exceeds expectations as assessed against PRISM standards during this year's audit. Additionally, in 2023, fiscal year 2023, the unit underwent a five-year regulatory profile audit re review required by the California Department of Workers' Compensation we received an exceptionally low score of 0.30443. And to be clear in this case, a low score is a great score. This score is definitely a testament to the expertise, skills, and compliance of the workers' compensation staff. 
The Workers' Compensation Unit serves as the main point of contact for all parties involved in the life of the claim. They are highly responsive when addressing inquiries and providing updates, leading to more efficient claims management and expediting closures. The Workers' Comp Unit managed 1,132 reports, including exposures, first aids, incidents, future medical care, indemnity, and medical-only claims, of which 549 were active claims requiring benefits. Each year, the Workers' Compensation Unit aims to achieve a productivity level of 100% ratio of open to closed claims. In fiscal year 23, the unit achieved a closing ratio of 109%, closing more claims than open, than we opened for that year. The city employs a range of strategies for implementing cost containment measures aimed at managing the expenses associated with workers' comp medical treatment. These include medical bill review, a pharmacy benefit management plan program, utilization review, and nurse case management. The medical bill review program, equipped with cutting-edge software and a comprehensive bill analysis, achieved a 67% savings for a total net savings of $10.5 million. To ensure continued fiscal stability, the unit's focus was settling workers' compensation claims. The unit successfully litigated and closed 142 claims in fiscal year 23. They also only 11.6 uh, of workers' comp claims went to litigation, thanks to our responsive and knowledgeable staff assisting employees in navigating the intricate workers' compensation process and resolving disputes informally. The workers' comp unit saw a 3.92% rise in funds recovered through subrogation efforts when identifying responsible third parties accountable for causing workers' comp injuries. In fiscal year 23, the city recovered $92,269 from responsible third parties. Additionally, the application of the Utilization Review Program resulted in a net savings of more than $578,000. This involved the review of 798 medication requests and the assessment of 499 hospitalizations and surgeries, ensuring the timeliness and appropriateness of requested medical treatments. The support staff and management are responsible for the preparation and submitting, submission of regulatory reports to various agencies, including Medicare, OSHA, the 1099 report, Office of Self-Insured Plans, and the Department of Workers' Compensation Claims Inventory Report. In our annual actuarial report, a benchmarking study revealed that when compared to nine similar-sized cities in California, the city of Sacramento has a 25% lower average cost per workers' compensation claim and a 14% lower frequency rate compared to other cities. And within our risk management group, as I said, we have our environmental health and safety group at, and the staff work with city staff. Uh, we refer to them as EH&S staff. They work with city staff, external stakeholders, and contractors to develop, audit, and provide guidance and training in support of Cal OSHA and other EH&S related regulatory required trainings and programs. Departments and divisions have dedicated EH&S specialists who work closely with the groups to provide direct consultation and support to prevent injuries and accidents aimed at reducing liability. Their compliance and reporting efforts address OSHA compliance, the Department of Transportation and Department of Motor Vehicle compliance, and the Environmental Protection Agency requirements. They support city operations by implementing employee workplace health and safety programs, training employees, and transparent and frequent communications. The EHNS team also facilitates the city's pre-employment medical exams, DOT drug testing program, 
and ongoing medical screenings. The EHS team provides consultation on worksite inspections, hazard assessments, and program and policy review and updates. Oops, sorry. For example, it was the EHS unit that mobilized in concert with the city manager's office in the early days of COVID, early and long days of COVID. Uh, to assist our staff in next steps when an illness was identified and implementing risk and spread protocols as the pandemics have persisted, changing as necessary with guidance and county regulatory direction. Some of RISC's most notable accomplishments from 2023 included bringing on board a new employee assistance program provider, Concern, Concern is the name of the company, and disseminating the monthly EAP newsletter citywide, it also included providing oversight to DOT of DOT required random drug and alcohol testing program, including 306 random drug tests and 159 random alcohol tests. They provided oversight of pre-employment and the reasonable suspicion drug and alcohol testing program. They monitored over a thousand employee driver's licenses, maintained 532 commercial driver proficiency verification records, and responded to numerous Cal OSHA compliance inspections and audits. The EHS specialists delivered 262 general safety training courses, trained 170 employees in CPR, first aid, and the AED, AED devices, and 90 employees in forklift operations. They processed 1,235 pre-employment medical exam clearances with four appeals. They completed 1,076 hearing tests, 24 no noise exposure assessments, and 74 ergonomic assessments. The team performed 866 respirator fit tests, health hazard testing, and personal protective equipment consultations. They conducted 163 facility inspections, 183 fall protection, protection equipment inspections, conducted 1,301 COVID-19 investigations, 477 assessment, uh, facility assessments, provided six COVID-19 outbreak responses, and completed 8,944 vaccination reviews. They properly disposed of around 120,000 pounds of hazardous waste through contractors and managed different areas of hazardous waste and materials program. The risk management division played a pivotal role in supporting the council's public safety initiative. I'd like to highlight a few of their efforts. Risk management provided funding assistance to equip patrol staff with the first aid supplies and EMT training for SWAT to quickly respond to medical emergencies and provided funding support to police in purchasing unmanned aerial systems known as drones so officers can safely assess the situation from a distance. They also supported the purchase of TrueNARC devices for police that reduces narcotic exposures to officers by allowing them to analyze and identify substances in the field. Risk management also supported the council's fiscal sustainability initiative by collecting $666,000 in subrogation and restitution revenue in 2023. They regularly share accident data and statistics with department leaders to focus on trends and development of accident prevention strategies to reduce, reduce future losses. And I know that you're excited to see this one. This is my conclusion. As I bring this presentation to a close, I wanna express my truly sincere gratitude for your time, attention, and engagement today. I hope you've gained insight into the invaluable services department provided by the Department of Human Resources, and I welcome any questions that you may have. Yes, thank you so much, Shelley. Thank you.
There will be a council quiz um, <laughs> on the details. Of, uh, no, I mean, it's a lot of information. And yes, you know, some might say, well, why do we need to know this? Because not just for members of the council, but for members of the public. I think to understand how a city actually runs, a city actually operates. So, there, so I think all of us got the gist of just how complex it is, and we appreciate it. That's a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I guess we do have, do we have public, is this a separate item? No. We have two, we, we have two other presentations. So why don't we take questions from the council uh, on this presentation and start with Councilmember Guetta. Okay, thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Mayor. I'll, um, I'll keep it very close on this one, but uh, can you give us uh, an update or at least a, a status of the classification study and uh, its expected rollout? And then my other one is 311, so I'll wait on that aspect. But Okay. Uh, the current class study, it, we, we are working on the job specs. We have received review and um, comments from departments. HR is reviewing all of those, and then some, we've already submitted to one union. And we've reached out to our largest and um, our largest union with the most class specs, which is 39, and they're going to be delivered to 39 next. And we will be meeting with them, giving them deadlines to respond to that and get us those job specs. The job specs are really critical in opening doors for diversity in the city. Thank you. And I, I guess my, my concern um, is the timing of, I mean, obviously we want to get it right, and uh, the timing that it's taken to be, to get out here, been part of the reason that we started this was some of the concerns about uh, uh, not only pay equity, but looking at how we move and promote folks within our department, uh, and also how we found out that there was significant both gender and uh, race disparity in our classification. So, Think, I'm glad we're here, glad we're moving forward, and that we're classifying people in their appropriate roles. But, uh, um, and I, I, if I could get an update on when we'll be done notifying all of our, all of our bargaining units in the future. Yeah. So we're rolling them within, I'll say, the next two to three months, all of the unions will get the class specs. Okay. Um, we started, we wanted to do union by union so we can just meet with them one, sure. you know, one at a time. Uh, because as well as... Uh, we are restricted on staff and the availability to meet with the unions. The unions also are restricted. So we're trying to quickly get those out to them so that they can review them and be ready to meet. So I would say maximum three months to get them all out. Thank you. That's all, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Valenzuela, then Vice Mayor Maple. Oh, yes. Um, thank you for sharing all of that information, especially I really was glad to hear about the risk management and workers comp studies that had been done about how we performed to other cities. That was really good to see. So thank you for providing that. I would like to just brag on them because they they always have amazing audits. It's a really great group. That's great. We should crow about that a little bit more. So, um, cause I think we get hit sometimes on settlements and stuff and people forget that we're a big city. And so to have, you know, as few settlements sometimes as we do is, is good. Um, I was wanted to ask you about ADA. Um, you know, we had the disability advisory commission at our last PMPE meeting and they were talking about how we used to have kind of an ADA coordinator. And at one point you mentioned an ADA team, like a three person team that you have in the department. And I guess I was wondering if there were opportunities for coordination there because they're clearly seeing needs that they don't feel like are being met, some of which are in progress and some of which just maybe we haven't talked to them about yet. So yes. I was curious to get your um, thoughts on that. I would love to talk just a tiny bit about the ADA. So most of what the DAC 
the Disability Advisory Commission, most of the things that they bring forward to us as concerns, it really is not HR related. Um, and that's why, so we've had a tr transition because it used to be an HR staff person was the central contact, but their, their issues are more facility, infrastructure, things like that. So we have transitioned the central ADA contact to IT, um, I'm sorry, to public works. Um, and IT is helping us build a, an ADA web page. Um, Merdul, do you know when that page will be up? This week, okay. And I think a lot of their issues are gonna be addressed in this new page. Um, we're also making it a little more user-friendly, a little more where you can drop down boxes and send, a, and who, so there are multiple ADA contacts in the city. It depends on what the issue is. So HR, we have the responsibility for any ADA issue for employees, volunteers, program participants, and how can we make the programs accessible for them and then Public Works has issues, obviously, with facilities and, and roadways. Um, CDD also has a part in it. The clerk's office, they have an ADA contact person for public meetings. So we're trying to compile all of that into one page and have easy access, and hopefully it'll resolve a lot of their issues. Okay, that sounds good because I think part of what they were alluding to was the coordination piece is like how do we make sure that IT and public works and all these folks when there's an issue identified, even if it's YPSI, right, there's a youth program that they want kids to participate in. I think that's, so I appreciate to hear that's on your radar. And I did already flag for AMI the idea of including disability and access and DEI sort of reports and analysis because we have staff as well who might have limited mobility and they were, I thought that was really cool that they brought that forward. So yes. um, yeah, thank you again for for answering that question. That was my only question, Mayor. Okay. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, and thank you for the wonderful presentation. I think these are, even though they're, they're long, it's good because it allows the public to understand all the wonderful work that's happening and all the hard work of our staff. And, um, and I certainly learned a lot too, so I really appreciate it. I only had one question. It was around, um, I appreciated the information around job opportunities, how people are selected. And there's a little bit of information about like the outreach process, but um, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of you know making sure we're meeting people where, where they are, and in a lot of the communities that I represent, um, they, they you know when I talk to my community members and I say, hey, do you know these, all these jobs open at the city? And then here's the, the web page you can go. They often are um, like surprised; they don't know how to get involved. And so um, I'm just kind of curious, what's the normal outreach process in terms of job opportunities for the city? So we have a hire. Um, I'm going to call it a recruitment manual. Manual. I don't remember the official title. Um, and in the back of that manual, there is a long list of places where you can do outreach. So each department is responsible for doing their own outreach, especially if it's a position that they know is going to be difficult to fill, which at this point is almost all of the ones in the city. Um, so we do encourage them to do that outreach, you know, using that list. Uh, Ebony Heaven, who she is, she was recently appointed as the manager, and she has some some new ideas or maybe not new, but some things that we, that she would like to focus on, including job fairs and, um, you know, being more accessible and reachable for the public. So also creating uh, just little things like creating our own um, Facebook or other pages, but it's going to take a while to build that network because we don't have followers right now. So that's one thing that she really wants to focus on this year for outreach. 
And then I guess as a follow-up, how does um, like SETA come into play with that? I know at least one of my colleagues is on the SETA board. Do, are we using them consistently to help kind of get the word out? We are not. Okay. And um, I can certainly put that on my list of things to follow up on. Can I just chime in here too? Because in addition to SETA, there's, there is a, a growing list of um, a distribution list when we have vacancies uh, available. We shoot them out here. Uh, one of the, the keys here is to have our partners in the community help us because we don't have all the networks that, uh, that they do as well. But to formalize it into like, a, like a, a social media, I don't know if it's Twitter or whatever it's called now, Facebook and others. We, Probably we have multiple. To, we have to build that following. We could work with that Tim out of our office, Tim Swanson, our PIO. But we certainly push out this. Every single vacancy gets published, and we push it out to the community, uh, all of our community partners, and they have their networks as well. We also work with Lynette Hall and her team, and she's got, uh, if not uh, a more extensive, as extensive as Vincine Jones used to have. And so she pushes that out for us as well. That's really helpful. Um, and part of my suggestion was gonna be, besides obviously working with the partners that we have, like like Zeta, you know, and, and Sacramento Works, they can push out that on the social medias that they have. We can do it, obviously, do it on our own. But I also think it's a, it might be important um, to have a consistent process. I understand having flexibility for each department, but that also might mean that maybe one department does it differently than another, and people might not understand what opportunities are available to them. Um, so I think that that's, uh, I would love to see something like more consistent in that way. And then I am a broken record on this, and I understand that it does take a lot more resources, and that's hopefully we can get there um, to help provide those. But you know, meeting people where they are, like in person. And so job fairs, in-person job fairs are great. But also, where do people go? You know, um, one of the things that we have in, in, in uh, my office is we call it the District 5 Faith Leaders Network. So we have all of our um, pastors and folk, folks who are in our faith community as a part of our network, and we'll share opportunities with them and, and ask them to share with their communities. And so we're able to amplify. Like, we're just one voice. There's no way we could get everything else out but use using trusted messengers in the community. And I know that's part of what Lynette's doing as well. And, um, but I just love to, to see that. And I think we'd have um, not just more people hopefully applying for these positions and filling them, but um, really getting more diversity of perspective and geographic diversity from around the city and so on. So just wanted to throw that out there and, and, and thank you. Okay, well, I mean, we are always open. Anyone, whoever wants to email us, just email us, humanresources at cityofsacramento.org, provide any recommendations for outreach, we will gladly look at all of them. Thank you. Thank you. I have one I want to ask that uh, goes back a number of years. I know it's been discussed, but uh, as long as we're having this big overview, might as well raise it again. And that is the EEO function of the department and whether or not the EEO function should be within the department itself. In other words, you're both you have the responsibility for both um, administering uh, potential discipline uh, and all the human resource functions and also being called on to independently investigate um, a, a claim of employment discrimination. What's been the thinking over the years really about um, consolidating that with that EEO function with human resources as opposed to separating it and having an independent process? Um, well, I mean, from my perspective, it is independent. Like, even though uh, EEO reports to labor, and we did that strategically because historically, so EEO investigations are confidential, and once you do the investigation, the 
the EEO office had been hesitant to share the details of the the investigations, which made it difficult to hold employees accountable. So having them report directly to labor relations once you have a substantiated finding, then labor relations takes over. And, and labor relations does not have, while they report to them, they don't sit there and um, like basically EEO hands over the report. It's not like labor relations is guiding their work necessarily. They hand over the report and then e and labor relations picks that up to hold employees accountable. From my perspective, it has done wonders for the EEO office. Uh, where we used to have anywhere from eight to 20 claims, I feel like the, you know, the word is out, like they are fair and impartial uh, investigations. And just this year we had almost 100 complaints, which is good. I, I, I feel like if you only have 20 complaints, the word is not out that the EEO office even exists. So. I'd also like to clarify what they are investigating are claims that happen in departments. So we're not talking about something that happens in HR because if there's an EEO claim around something that happens in HR, it's, in, it's investigated by someone external to the city. And so it, the, the EEO function in HR is doing the complaint intake and investigation of all the things that happen in all of our operating departments, charter offices, and in certain cases, mayor and council. And so it is by, in, in, in and of itself independent from all of those things because it's in a separate department. It wouldn't differ if it sat in the city manager's office because the, it would report to the same person that the HR department reports to. So it's been um, since, I have to say, the, the Me Too movement, since we did our tour, what did we call it, Ami, when we went across the city and... and Upstand, up, up, up up yeah. um, our upstand tour, and and made a conscious effort to explain to people about the EO process, about its administration and adjudication and discipline that comes from it. Shelley's not wrong. Um, we have made great strides. We have also made it a point to have responsible and accountability accountable employees in the EEO office to ensure that we're holding everybody to the same standard. I guess the investigators themselves are independent. Is that yes. right? Yes. Well, and we did. We we adopted a new policy around I think 2019 that if the complaint is by or against HR, it's outsourced. If it's by or against a department head or an elected, it's outsourced. So we have removed any uh -huh. perceived bias by outsourcing anything that involves us. That's that's really the answer I was looking for. I wasn't no. <laughs> wasn't sure of that, but uh, thank you. That I think that's appropriate differentiation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Very good. No more questions. I think that's uh, all right. I think that's it. Thank you all so much. Thank you so much. Pete Plato's going to introduce himself. You're you're good. Hey. Lenny <laughs> <laughs> already gave the introduction. Thank you, thank you so much, Shelley. Thank you, and Pete, welcome. All right, thank you, thanks Howard. Um, good afternoon, Mayor, Council members, and members of the public. I'm Pete Coletto, the Finance Director for the City. And as Lainey noted, I'm one of the newer members of the City team. And I just wanna share what struck me at, uh, since I've started is really the professionalism and dedication of the City's finance staff. I've also been really grateful for the welcome I've received in the collaborative spirit of my colleagues. Uh, finance is a core function in the delivery of every city service. And in order to have effective and sustainable city programs, finance and other departments need to work in partnership. 
and I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to tell you more about what we do as a department. You mainly see us around budget season, and you're probably going to get really tired of seeing Murthala and me in the next few months. Uh, but we perform many other functions year-round. Uh, we typically work behind the scenes. Finance people, were, we're generally more comfortable in front of a spreadsheet than a podium. And a lot of what we do can sound inaccessible. So we talk about ACFRs and GASB rules, federal procurement circulars, tax increment financing, and other things that make most normal, well-adjusted people's eyes glaze over, but we like. Um, so I'm hoping this will help demystify some of what we do. Uh, so I want to begin with our departmental mission, which is to educate, inform, and provide internal and external customer service with integrity, efficiency, and quality. And I really want to emphasize integrity. As the government, we're spending taxpayer dollars. And in finance, we're dedicated to maintaining the public's trust by providing transparency, both around how funds are allocated and spent, and then ensuring compliance with the law, accounting standards, and the procurement and tax codes. And we accomplish these goals by overseeing the functions that I'll describe in more detail. So most of our functions are mandated by law. We can't choose not to produce an ACFR, and we can't choose not to balance a budget. We have to go through outside audits and follow procurement law. We must pay our staff and retirees and honor our commitments in labor agreements. We have to follow our reporting and audit requirements around special districts and EIFDs and CFDs, more of those acronyms. And we have to administer and enforce our tax programs that have been established by the voters. So how do we do this? We accomplish this through our six operating divisions and the small but mighty office of the director that handles our internal administration and keeps us on task. So thanks, Christina Marquette. And our total budget this year is just over $9 million in the general and measure U funds. And we have roughly 95 full-time equivalent employees. Um, so when I was starting to think, how do I illustrate what finance does in, in the city, uh, I thought of a foundation. So we support city services from program conception through delivery, and then afterwards provide the mandated financial reporting. We provide cost estimates and appropriate and manage funds. We support the procurement of goods and services. We issue payments to city staff and manage our retiree payments, both our legacy pension plan and our contributions to CalPERS. We issue payments to vendors, and we collect the revenues that support city services, and then we administer financing arrangements that support growth of the city's tax base. And finally, we ensure every single public dollar is accounted for in line with governmental accounting board standards and applicable law. So first, I want to introduce our accounting division, which is led by Osvaldo Lopez. Accounting provides oversight for the system of internal controls to safeguard city assets and prepares our annual financial statements. This includes reconciliation of the city's 318 active funds, the largest of which are the general measure U funds. These reconciliations are part of our state-mandated annual comprehensive financial report. The ACFR is the public sector equivalent to a private company's financial disclosures. By charter mandate, we provide all accounting services to SCRS, the city's legacy pension plan, and accounting processes numerous mandatory audits with outside auditors who evaluate the city's compliance with accounting st uh, standards and best practices. And they also issue all the vendor payments on behalf of the city. So last fiscal year, accounting paid over 60,000 invoices worth over $675 million. This amounts to approximately 230 invoice payments per workday. 
payments that are reviewed and approved in line with the city's internal controls. I'm very proud to say that there were no findings in the city's outside audits. This is an independent vote of confidence in the work of Osvaldo and his team, as well as the fiscal staff across all the city departments. We were awarded the Governmental Finance Officers Association Award for our ACFR, which attests to the quality of information and the accessibility of our financial reporting. All public spending by the city is included in the ACFR, and I encourage anybody who wants to better understand how their tax dollars are spent to consult it. And finally, accounting su successfully implemented four new GASB rules. Uh, these rules require analysis and a huge amount of work to implement as they adjust how assets are accounted for and how financial information is recorded. Next is our Budget, Policy, and Strategic Planning Division led by Merthala Santizo. The Budget Division prepares the annual operating budget, five-year capital plan, mid-year and quarterly reporting, and supports the other departments with ad hoc fiscal analysis. Budget sits at the table of all our labor negotiations and provides independent fiscal analysis of the budgetary impact of negotiating proposals and agreements. Budget also evaluates every single proposal that comes before you every Tuesday and discloses any fiscal impact on the city. Last year, the city received the California Society of Municipal Finance Officers Award for both our budget and our capital plan. And this is, in, is not only because of uh, how well we're presenting our information, but also for the use of best practice financial planning tools like our five-year forecast. The forecast shows the long-term financial impact of voter and council revenue and spending decisions. As I mentioned earlier, budget reviews every proposal that comes before you, and last year that equated to over 800 proposals. Budget was at the table for every labor negotiation this past year, and they worked tirelessly costing out scenarios and labor agreements so that the negotiating team and council were fully informed during the collective bargaining process. And finally, we implemented many automations to our budget processes to reduce workload for other city departments. And I also want to call out that uh, the budget team did a ton of work around ma managing our COVID dollars, both the CARES and ARPA dollars. Next is our payroll division led by Harinder Rangi. Payroll issues uh, biweekly paychecks for active employees, monthly paychecks for SCRS retirees, and maintains internal controls to ensure compliance with labor agreements and state and federal law. They provide data to support labor negotiations, and then after an agreement's been reached, they have to issue thousands of retroactive and special payments to have the city comply with agreements. Payroll also provides internal services to city employees, <coughs> excuse me, to enroll them <coughs> in direct deposit and to resolve any issues with paychecks or timekeeping. So last year, payroll issued over 118,000 payments to employees. This includes the biweekly payroll and special payments. And they issued over 10, 000, around 10,000 payments to retirees. Payroll's been assisting employees and retirees to enroll in direct deposit, which helps employees have easier access to the money they're owed, and it cuts down on administrative costs of producing and mailing checks. They've been working closely with IT to add self-service options to our timekeeping system and automate various projects or um, processes to achieve efficiencies and cost savings. Next is our procurement division led by Diana Reyes-Anaska. Procurement develops, implements, and ensures compliance with citywide policies for the acquisition of goods and services through competitive bidding and contract and purchase order administration. 
They establish our purchasing guidelines in line with state and federal law, city charter and code, and best practice. We support departmental procurements and centrally procure goods and services that are used by multiple city departments. Procurements been identifying and centrally procuring those goods where uh, we can really use our bargaining power to drive down cost. We have an electronic uh, procurement platform that's administered by the division, which allows vendors to automatically receive notices when a city department is conducting a solicitation, and it allows us to more efficiently receive the proposals. And they manage the citywide travel and purchasing card programs. So last year, we centrally procured uh, over $16 million in citywide goods and services. This includes contracts like the janitorial and uh, security services for city facilities. We processed over 1,100 travel requests, provided support for over 250 competitive solicitations. And the competitive bidding process really ensures transparency around our procurements. It gives opportunities for vendors to participate, and it ensures we're getting the most bang for our buck with our limited city resources. And finally, we've used our bargaining power to obtain over $100,000 in supplier rebates. Next is our infrastructure finance division led by Sherry Smith. So if forms and administers financing plans for assessment districts, tax districts, and fee districts, uh, they partner with other city departments and work with business stakeholders to create and maintain uh, special districts which support, and support development and improve livability. This not only makes Sacramento a better place to live, but it also grows our tax base. And when these special districts are formed, if performs mandated functions, such as administering the funds and providing the reporting. These special districts are a critical tool to financing um, and supporting development. So impact fee districts in combination with CFDs, with the Melrose districts, were really a key to the large amount of development um, in Natomas. And the picture on the right is Delta Shores, where uh, we're using special districts to facilitate development. And IF has the coolest pictures of all the finance divisions, so I'm sorry to the other five. Um, so last year, we administered over $30 million in funding across 89 special districts. These special districts support the construction of backbone infrastructure that supports development and then ongoing maintenance um, expenses in these communities. We support the business community by administering $17 million across 21 PBIDs and BIAs citywide. These districts provide programs to make our business corridors safe and inviting environments with programs that can be customized to fit the needs of the district. We administer 10 million across uh, fee district programs, which are a mechanism for developers to build the backbone infrastructure uh, more efficiently. And if efforts have supported the development of Delta Shores and Stone Beatland, which will add 5,000 new homes to the city. And then on the right are pictures of our two active EIFDs, the rail yards in Aggie Square, and they're using tax increment financing to uh, develop and build these economic engines for the city. And finally, uh, last but not least, is our largest division, the revenue division led by Jackie Rice. Revenue administers and collects monies associated with various citywide debts and invoices, citations, fees, parking permits, special business permits, taxes, and other city revenue programs. Revenue is our most public-facing division. Uh, those friendly people you see on the first floor revenue counter, they're helping customers understand and make payments. They're part of finance. Revenue collects our utility users tax, transient occupancy tax, business operations tax, 
and other payments that finance all city services. We administer other programs, such as a short-term rental program, processing applications, collecting fees, and helping city residents understand and ensure they're in compliance with city code. So last year at council's direction, the revenue team brought forward a business operations tax modernization proposal, which council has placed on the March ballot. Revenue collected over 100 million in tax revenues, which support all city services, and provided cashiering services for over 28,000 customers at our revenue desk. And we issued over 1,300 special business permits. So I've talked a lot about the past and present, but I'm really excited about some of our future goals and ways that we can better support the council and other city departments. You've heard from many of my colleagues about their deferred maintenance needs and other unfunded capital needs, and it's also one of your council priorities. Uh, well, currently our five-year capital plan only includes projects where we've identified funding. And as part of this year's CIP, finance staff has been working with uh, the departments to capture our unfunded capital needs. This is in line with best practice, and it will um, really help us establish a baseline and it will give us a comprehensive picture of our capital financing gap, and it will allow the council and city staff to prioritize and evaluate financing strategies to ensure that city roads, buildings, parks, vehicles, and other capital assets are properly maintained, and that departments have the equipment they need to serve the public. Finance has also been working with the city's attor city attorney's office to develop a procurement modernization proposal that we're going to bring forward in the coming months. The proposal will clean up our procurement code, update thresholds that are over a decade old, and bring us into line with federal standards and lessen administrative workload, and contain policies that further support our local businesses. And finally, we're reviewing our financial policies and identifying areas that can be updated to reflect best practices, to facilitate achieving operational savings, addressing our unfunded capital needs, addressing our unfunded pension liability, and supporting the growth of city resources. And we also face a number of challenges. Uh, there's a statewide shortage in many budget and accounting positions. Uh, we're lucky in the city we're not experiencing that same issue that I hear from all my uh, a lot of my colleagues statewide. Uh, but we need to ensure that we're developing and retaining our existing staff. And as I've alluded to during the presentation, we work with fiscal staff and other departments and there's always a balance between control, efficiency, and administrative workload. And we really want to find what that, the right balance for the city. And we'll continue to work with the departments to try to find that right level of centralization of financial services. And then finally, as you know, uh, we're facing a challenging budget year. Uh, finance, we're here to help provide support and analysis to help the council make fully informed decisions as we look to close a structural budget gap and put the city in a more stable fiscal position. So I want to leave you with this. Uh, we're very lucky to have such a talented and dedicated finance staff in the city. Uh, I have a really easy job. I have a great staff that provides great service both to our internal departments and the public. And they keep coming to me with great ideas. I just have to figure out how to get them to you. So I shouldn't tell Lainey my job so easy. Uh, but we're here to support um, the council, support city leadership in implementing financially sound fiscal policies and providing transparency around how the public's money is spent. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's uh, hear from the members. Councilmember Kaplan. Um, welcome, 
after this budget, as Lainey said, it will no longer will you be new and shiny. <laughs> um, I'm afraid this budget this year is going to beat everybody up. And, and I'm sorry we didn't do this for you, Shelley, but Pete, can your team stand up so that we can recognize them? They've got a heavy lift, um, and I know they have been working uh, furiously on what our budget is going to look like in the future. So I just want to say thank you. Um, I know you guys don't necessarily do the shiny, glamorous stuff, but it's the cog on the wheel that keeps the city going. So um, I do want to say I appreciate you. I know the, the difficult decisions that you guys are going to present to us that we have to make, but... Um, I have ultimate confidence that you guys will look at the data of how can we continue the core services in this city um, and make the best decisions possible while they're difficult that we have to face. So um, welcome to our team. I'm sorry it's not doling out money year. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Councilmember. Councilmember Jennings. Thank you, Mayor. Um, <clears throat> Pete. Not to take anything away from you, but we can have Shelly show us her team and give them some acknowledgement as well. So would you have your team please stand as well? Teams continue to come up and show the great work that they're doing. I, I believe in the concept that together everyone achieves more, and I know that we're working together. And so that's why I wanted to make sure that I built on what Councilmember Kaplan did as far as making sure we acknowledge those that are doing the incredible work that they do every single day. Thank you for the presentation. Thank you. Very good. We know we're going to be seeing a lot more of you and your team over the... You're, you're going to get sick of us, Mayor. <laughs> next week and look, look forward to it. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So next week, we're going to get a presentation on the actual numbers. Is that... At, at, at budget and audit committee, right? And, and council, yeah, at both. Okay, afternoon. And so uh, we'll be providing a mid-year uh, review and uh, a preview of next year's budget. Okay, thank you. All right, who is presenting uh, last Darren. but not least? Darren? Bring it home, Darren. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. Uh, I'm Darren Arcolino, your Chief Information Officer, and I'm excited to have the opportunity today to present the amazing work performed by the dedicated, hardworking, and innovative employees of the Information Technology Department. I'm starting with our department vision, which summarizes our purpose. Through the use of technology, we engage, empower, and improve the lives of the citizens of Sacramento. We do this by delivering innovative and effective technology solutions to meet the needs of our customers. And it's somewhat advantageous for the IT department to present after you heard all the presentations from the other departments. The presentations you heard today and over the past few weeks touch on how integrated technology solutions empower their work. Technology is deeply ingrained in all business lines in Sacramento. And IT has partnered with the departments to constantly improve the city operations. Departments have modernized their businesses to easily connect essential government services to our citizens. The modernization of government is nothing new. Technology has allowed our citizens to interact with the city in new and exciting ways for decades. 
However, the urgent need for more technology has increased dramatically since 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic exposed the need to quickly scale and digitally transform government to communicate more effectively with our citizens and businesses at the same time improving the efficiency and security of a remote workforce. The pandemic tested the agility and resilience of organizations around the world, and I'm proud to say that this IT department shined. In the middle of all the chaos and confusion of the pandemic, information technology played a crucial role in maintaining a sense of, a sense of normality. IT staff worked around the clock as we quickly transitioned thousands of employees to work from home, trained them on how to fully utilize our collaboration tools, and led remote work practices to thrive in the new normal. More than 900 laptops, along with cameras, monitors, and headphones, were quickly distributed to city workforces to help them work effectively at home. In-person council meetings were replaced with Zoom meetings so the flow of our city business could continue, and hybrid conference rooms were engineers at, engineered as staff were allowed to come back into the office. IT also made the most of grant funding to distribute internet access devices and computer equipment for Sacramento's un, un, uh, uh, under underserved residents to, to, con to connect to essential uh, community, education, medical, and government services. I can't thank the remarkable employees of the IT department enough for their tireless work to engage, empower, and improve the lives of the citizens of Sacramento at the most trying time in our, our work history. Since the pandemic, IT has experienced a 30% increase in workload overall and up to 70% in some specific areas. The number of electronic business documents managed has consistently increased and will continue to do so. The number of devices managed increased significantly once hybrid work started. The spending on software citywide took a big jump in 2020 and continues to grow at a rate of 5 to 7% annually. The amount of data growth also jumped significantly in FY21 and will continue along that upward trajectory. And remote work finally pushed the adoption of digital signatures as paper documents and wet signatures were no longer viable options. COVID-19 has accelerated the adoption of technology exponentially at a pace never seen before. And we continue to move forward with exciting innovations that enable the city to offer new ways to connect with our customers. It's a cornerstone today to accept electronic submittal of planning and building permit requests and to route online forms through an approval workflow for various tasks such as badge access and HR personnel actions. These initiatives aim to expand digital service delivery, optimize city business processes, enhance user experience, and ensure that citizens can access essential services remotely. Our IT team is highly motivated, an exceptional group of professionals dedicated to ensuring the delivery of city services enabled by technology. Just like technology itself, the department grew exponentially over time. In 2016, a citywide reorganization effort consolidated 49 IT positions from various city departments under one IT department. In the fiscal year 18 budget, another 29 positions from public safety moved to IT completing the final phase of this initiative that now houses a total of 208.5 full-time equivalent employees. 41.5 of these positions are dedicated to 311, which transitioned as a division under IT in 2015. 
The city improved IT service and support because of this reorganization and raised accountability for IT strategic direction and decision making to a citywide perspective while still supporting departments and their needs. Our operating budget for FY24 is $32.9 million. A little over $21 million comes from the general fund with another $700,000 from Measure U. $9 million of our department budget is funded from the interdepartment service, also known as the cost allocation plan for employee services supporting city enterprise departments. 97.8% of the department's total budget is allocated to our employees. We are proud of the culture we built in the department to attract and retain employees. We started an IT training program that has enabled an exceptional youth movement in the department with a diverse pipeline to the local colleges. We've hired 25 amazing IT trainees since 2020 with the thirst to learn and grow in the department. We partner with CSUS to guide their information systems and business analytics programs and are actively engaged with their various clubs to educate them on the career opportunities within the city. Once new employees are onboarded, we provide opportunities to do stretch assignments that allow them to experience different parts of the agency, build their resumes and upskill and reskill to stay on top of the latest technologies. In 2020, we launched a virtual speed mentoring program that allows our employees to meet many mentors in a short period of time to gain perspective, education, and skills to develop both personally and professionally. It's an opportunity to be exposed to a diversity of thoughts, personalities, and cultures within our department. In 2023, we launched the NextGen IT Leadership Academy, which is a year-long training program to support the next generation of IT leaders with soft skills to complement their technical knowledge and to prepare them for the next phase in their careers. And finally, our team has worked closely with the guidance of Ami Barnes, the City Diversity and Equity Manager, on the Race and Gender Equity Action Plan for the department and an outreach program for our employees through a series of lunch and learns, newsletters, and a book club to forge a deeper understanding across cultures and communities while inspiring accountable action to advance workforce equity. All right, I'm gonna just say it right now. This might look eerily similar to Pete's presentation. Uh, yeah, no, I will say that there's no intellectual property stolen. It's just uh, two great minds thinking alike here. Um, the IT department is divided into 10 distinct working programs. Every good home needs a solid foundation and the city of Sacramento is no different. The foundation across the department, as well as every department's information system, starts with the IT security and IT infrastructure. As good stewards of local government, we are committed to the public trust that our services, data, and critical infrastructures are always secure and accessible. The team pillars from left to right are 311, often thought as the front door to city services, regional support, our internal customer service group, geographical information systems, or GIS, enterprise applications, data and analytics, a brand new team developed to exploit the value of our data assets and analytics for insightful decision-making, public safety IT, the Department of Utilities IT, and lastly, the roof keeping everything together is the IT administration and the office of CIO. The IT administration division is led by IT manager Ignacio Estevez, provides general administrative support that keeps the department running smoothly. Not only do they provide fiscal, accounting, budget operations, and project management for the department, but they also manage telecommunications billing and software licenses for all departments, 
which includes centralized procurement of all enterprise computer hardware and software. This division coordinates the annual consolidated IT spending authorization every for every department, which totals $24.7 million in IT hardware and software purchases made through cooperative purchase contracts, and over $7.7 million in ongoing software maintenance to support existing systems. Last year, this group oversaw 56 staff recruitments with corresponding background checks and managed the procurement and contracting coordination efforts of 40 citywide and department technology-related contracts. The work done by this division has streamlined the IT procurement process of IT-related goods and services, enabling city departments to maximize cost savings through volume purchasing. 311 Customer Service, led by manager Ivan Castellanos, gives citizens, businesses, and visitors of Sacramento a single point of contact for most city services. 311 is available 24-7, 365, and their primary function is to answer general questions received through multiple channels regarding city services and to create work orders for other departments so they can address the issues at hand. 311 is also responsible for staffing three different dispatch stations. Control 7 dispatches parking enforcement issues seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Control 4 dispatches recycling and solid waste five days a week from 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. and requires two dispatchers. Control 10 dispatches, dispatches for animal care, facility, parks, streets, and urban forestry 24-7 and after hours dispatching for water, sewer, and drains. 311 is staffed with 33 customer service agents and currently has three vacancies. The team also has three leads and three supervisors covering all three shifts around the clock with one admin analyst and manager. I broke out 311's budget here so you can see how they are funded since this is unique to our department. The general fund contributes $1.5 million and recycling and solid waste calls average about a third of all service requests and their contribution is $1.8 million. Since we introduced six new customer service agents in 2019, our workload increased steadily year after year. We observed a 20% increase during the last year when compared to 2019. The total number of calls answered by agents decreased a little in 23 due to 45,000 plus phone calls that were redirected to the correct party by the artificial intelligence in our virtual agent. Calls to 311 are automatically rerouted to the county, police, SMUD, and regional transit equaled 14.5% of all calls, which ultimately reduced the agent's workload. Service requests via the website, mobile app, and email again increased this last year and are about 36% of all requests. The top five requests have remained mostly unchanged over the past few years. However, in 23, calls regarding homelessness jumped to number two at 57,600. Recycling and solid waste still remain at the top in 152,000 requests last year. There are a few challenges that I want to bring to your attention. The chart on the left shows the spike in the average call wait time over the past three years. In 2023, the call wait time ballooned to just under 14 minutes from six minutes and 39 seconds the year before, despite adding technology to automatically transfer calls with AI. This is largely due to the increase in calls regarding homeless issues, the population growth in the city, and limited resources in 311, which are stretched thin to cover a 24-7 operation, even with a large amount of overtime. The chart on the right shows a percentage of calls by the time of day. Just over 88% of all of our calls occur between the hours of 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. 
There's also a lack of visibility into the status of open service requests and case resolution, which has led to multiple requests for the same issue. This became apparent as calls on homeless issues increased. The complexity regarding homeless service case resolution isn't always visible to our customers, and more service requests often come in for the same site or issue, ultimately creating more work for 311 and DCR while frustrating our customers. So what's next? Uh, since 311 is part of the IT department, we understand where we can embed technology to solve problems. The first is the customer 360 experience, which builds transparency throughout the service request process and keeps our customers up to date. The arrows around the circle on the left represent customer touch points, where we will communicate when the case is created, when a field service agent is dispatched, when there are updates in the field, including pictures, and finally, a case resolution. IT has taken the lead in this project and working closely with each business unit to map out processes and identify milestones where we can update the customer. We've already started working with DCR and we plan to achieve the following objectives. Send real-time updates to the requester with case status through email and text messages. Enable mobile support for the staff during field work. And enable a parent-child relationship to synchronize status and notes between common cases and publish key performance indicators for DCR to the open data portal for better transparency. The customer 360 experience for DCR will be completed by this June and recycling and solid waste will follow. The other influx of technology into 311 will include the expansion of artificial intelligence and self-service options with our virtual agent. As part of our ongoing efforts to enhance 311, we've already deployed conversation workflows for our virtual agent to handle cases related to homelessness queries, issues with homeless trash, and problems related to homeless individuals blocking sidewalks. The virtual agent engages customers by asking a series of per pertinent questions, such as the number of people at the camp, the presence of animals, and a description of the issue. Subsequently, it creates a case in Salesforce for the Department of Community Response. This feature was launched on January 19th and has already autonomously generated 279 cases streamlining the process without requiring support from a customer service agent. We also added conversation workflows that enabled a virtual agent to schedule household junk pickup, including appliances and e-waste. Given that live agents typically handle about 26,000 calls annually for this service, we anticipate that approximately half of those will be efficiently managed by the virtual agent. Launched on February 1st, the virtual agent has already scheduled 675 junk pickups and will text reminders to the customers as their scheduled date nears. The self-reporting of animal care and abandoned vehicles will be coming soon with more services added in the future. We want to provide the best possible service to our customers and at the current growth rate of requests, we understand that 24-7 operations may not be sustainable. We are researching a shift in schedule to reassign agents to align resources for our busiest time of day. We would still offer emergency dispatch around the clock for departments, but rely on the mobile app, website, and virtual agent to handle the small number of calls that we receive late at night and early in the morning. The Regional Support Division is led by IT Manager Kirk Rexon. This division serves as a primary point of contact between employees and the IT department, offering 24-7 support to swiftly address and resolve technical issues, alongside handling employee requests for access, hardware, and software. This division oversees the comprehensive lifestyle ma life cycle management, 
of over 7,500 computing devices, administers critical security updates and system patches, and trains employees to get the most out of our city software, systems, and tools. The division supports the seamless operation of critical city services from public safety and 311 to utilities and administrative functions. It not only ensures that city employees have the support and training that they need to perform their duties, but it also underpins the city's ability to innovate, adapt to new challenges, and meet the evolving needs of its citizens. The geographical information systems team is led by program manager Dan McCoy and managed by IT manager Rong Liu. The city manages and maintains over 900 GIS data sets with 1.5 million city assets to support critical business functions. The GIS program is deeply integrated with key mission critical operations including 311, public safety dispatch, utilities, public works, economic development, and the community development department. Management and support of GIS infrastructure and location-based data is essential for all city departments. Without accurate locations, city staff are unable to respond to 911 and 311 calls and manage critical assets such as traffic lights and signs, as well as water, sewer, sewer and drainage equipment. GIS data is also essential for public safety incident tracking, solid waste routing, code enforcement, tree management, permitting, and rental inspection programs. GIS deploys numerous mapping applications to help internal city staff work effectively and to help engage with the public. Some of these mapping applications are cataloged on the city's open data portal, which receives over 120,000 views a year. This team also works on many special projects. SAC Youth Work Program, the Great Plates Program, and redistricting are just a few of the recent projects they supported. The Enterprise Application Division is led by Assistant Director Mardul Sadanadan. This division leverages the best technology to deliver digital solutions to our customers. Just some of the critical applications managed by this innovative team include our ERP system, or ECAPS, manages the city's critical functions of finance, budget, payroll, procurement, and human resources. The Enterprise Permit and Land Management System, Excella, is a critical system for the Community Development Department, Public Works, and the Office of Cannabis Management, as well as finance to effectively manage land use, zoning regulations, business operations, and related activities for public and private property. Our code enforcement system is the primary case management system used by code enforcement and the recycling and solid waste divisions to manage and enforce city laws and codes. Web content management, or eGov, publishes digital content and mass communication to effectively serve the public disseminate information and improve engagement, accessibility, and transparency. And Document Management Program, or CCM, is the official city's document repository for numerous, numerous sets of critical data. These records, or this, this program enables the digitalization of paper documents, long-term storage, and the delivery of documents to the public for transparency. A fun fact that uh, Image on the top right is a screen capture of a search for approved operating budgets. We found one from 1923. Uh, the budget was just over $2 million. And it was all contained on uh, five pages. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, I don't believe the budget coming up is going to be five pages. It'd be a little bit bigger than that. 
This is just a small part of our full portfolio of applications managed by the division. Simply put, they produce value by increasing our organization efficiency and by powering our employees with solutions to do their jobs effectively. Here's a sample of some of the key metrics that this team produced in 2023. Good time for a drink. All right. I want to introduce our newest addition to our organization structure, the data and analytics program led by IT manager Brian Dable. I heard you loud and clear from the dais over the past year. We need to utilize our data to make informed business decisions. So we reorganized the department to position this team to meet that goal. Our team of data architects provide support for the backend data used by more than 100 city applications. The team also provides metrics and key performance indicators to ensure our city investments have quantifiable results. They construct dashboards from ingested data to provide measurable results on projects, investments, and performance measures. This new team will manage the creation of a citywide data strategy and governance plan. Uh, build trust across departments and between the city and the people it serves. Expand the open data public offerings to empower citizens, advance transparency, and enable better government. And foster the creation of a data-driven culture and data literacy across the city. And focus on business outcomes, not just reporting. So how much data do we have? Well, that number continues to grow. Uh, at last review, we manage actively 4.9 petabytes of data, which is roughly equivalent to 98 million tall filing cabinets full of paper with standardized text. Or if you were to use those one gigabyte flash drives that we all used to love, um, fill them with data, and then line them up end to end, they would stretch over 450 football fields wide. The Public Safety IT Division is led by IT Manager Dimitri Ojeda. This division is responsible for all the mission-critical support of the Sacramento Police and Fire Department, and you heard many of the ways that both departments rely on the technology in their presentations. The mission of this team is to keep officers and firefighters safe and allow them to do their jobs effectively and efficiently so they can serve and protect the citizens of Sacramento. This group supports the police CAD system, police and fire records management, police and fire mobile data computers, fire automated staffing, the real-time crime center, fire station alerting system, and health EMS. They also develop and support a wide variety of departmental systems to streamline and assist public safety in accomplishing departmental goals, citywide goals, and government mandates. This division maintains on-call technicians available 24-7 to support critical field operations. They also design and maintain the infrastructure and services to connect over 40 facilities and remote locations to public safety applications and data. And the breadth of the customer support is enormous with the amount of new technology used in the field. Here's some numbers from uh, 2023 of the amount of technology used in the field for public safety. Um, one thing to notice on the pods, I know Council Member Jennings been talking about on the police observation devices. There's 150 out there currently. We're currently working with a local cloud security camera manufacturer uh, on a new prototype that should allow us to scale operations by switching to a subscription model that would require uh, fewer professional staff and police officer time to manage. We hope to have a working prototype in the hands of the police department in the next coming months. 
The Utilities IT Division is led by IT Manager Rung Liu and is responsible for managing the technology systems to support the Department of Utilities. The most important systems and services provided by this division are the Customer Care and Billing System, CCB, is DOU's core system for customer care, utility, and solid waste billing and payments with over 150,000 customers. The advanced metering infrastructure enabled preci enables precise water usage for accurate billing. This division manages 143 telecommunication endpoints and connected transponders for accurate data com communication between these components and their asset lifecycle. CityWorks is the service request and work order management system for utilities underground assets, such as water, wastewater, and storm drainage main lines. CityWorks is being used by all DOU staff daily to manage the city's utility infrastructure. And maintenance connection is the work order management system for above ground vertical assets. It also serves as an ordering and just-in-time parts tracking system for repair and maintenance. There are 216 staff that use this system daily to manage assets, run reports, and export data for planning and regulatory reporting purposes. IT infrastructure is managed by our oper operations division under IT manager Manny Martinez. Infrastructure is the backbone of IT and provides connectivity to our city employees so they can access, access the services they need to perform their daily functions. This division provides a physical connectivity of buildings to our city cloud data centers. This includes over 190 miles of city-owned and maintained fiber optic infrastructure that serves as the nerve center providing connectivity to over 100 facilities. 190 miles is equivalent to the distance between Sacramento and Carmel. Our network design allows for connectivity by either using a physical connection or one of the 400 Wi-Fi access points. We connect over 9,000 devices to the city's data center, which can include anything from employees' devices to door access panels, phones, cameras, heating and air conditioning controllers, and even the fleet smog machines. At our city cloud data center, we host over 600 virtual servers that run most applications that many employees leverage daily. This team also tests our business continuity plan and enterprise backup and recovery systems to make sure that city services are always available. Other functional areas managed by IT operations include the city's 41 FCC radio licenses and public safety radios. We manage over 4,500 radios used for field communication by police, fire, utilities, and many other departments. This division also manages the audio and video controls in these beautiful council chambers, as well as any remote locations that may need AV assistance. The infrastructure team is extremely creative and utilizes infrastructure assets to build partnerships, realize cost savings, and develop new revenue streams for the city. These efforts are truly unique to local government. City Fiber was used to negotiate a public-private partnership with Verizon that launched Sacramento as one of the first 5G cities in the country. They also received infrastructure in return. We, we also, the city also received infrastructure in return to connect traffic signals to operations center, experiment with smart city solutions, and light up 27 city parks with free Wi-Fi. Fiber connectivity was again used to negotiate an agreement with the state of California that will save the city $2.46 million over 10 years for increased bandwidth, advanced security operations, and internet services. This is an exchange for city-owned fiber infrastructure used to connect state facilities to other designated sites. 
And finally, our infrastructure is utilized to connect third-party parking garages to our hosted parking services. Public Works Director Matt Ironman, then the City Parking Manager, negotiated agreements with Kaiser Permanente, the County of Sacramento, and the State of California to bring new revenue streams to the city. The cybersecurity program is led by our information security officer, Paolo Tonduk, and managed by Manny Martinez. The information security office aspires to enhance the well-being of the citizens of Sacramento through partnerships, delivering secure, innovative, and effective IT solutions, and empowering the community with the necessary knowledge and skills to stay, to stay cyber safe. The IT security team provides value to the city of Sacramento and its citizens by managing the risk to confidentiality, integrity, and the availability of city information assets through sound administrative, physical, and technical controls. Our team of security professionals ensures cybersecurity is at front and center of everything that we do. Sacramento is also a payment card industry, PCI, level two merchant, due to the high volume of credit card transactions that we process annually. The IT security team works closely with the treasurer's office and the bank to implement the latest PCI requirements as well as regularly assess and test our security controls for compliance. This work provides the PCI certification necessary to allow the city to continue processing credit cards. Our cybersecurity team not only conducts security awareness training for our employees, but also created CyberSafe Sacramento, a website dedicated to educating our citizens in the areas of cybersecurity to enable a cyber safe community. Taking a look at cybersecurity by the numbers, in a typical month, we receive close to 3 million emails and files to scan. We'll see around 32 employee impersonation attempts, which is a type of a targeted phishing attack where a malicious actor pretends to be someone else to steal sensitive data from unsuspecting employees using social engineering tactics. We'll also see around 2,600 phishing attempts in a typical month and block 896 malicious payloads before reaching our employees. Malicious payloads are the parts of a cyber attack that cause harm by sitting dormant on a computer or network for seconds or even months before they are triggered for data theft, activity monitoring, or ransomware. The latest data breach investigative investigations report from Verizon reveals that government agencies continue to be the highest sector targeted by financially motivated external threat actors, as well as spying nation states. Last year, there were confirmed 3,273 incidents in the government sector. In recent cyber attacks against other municipalities, city services have been completely shut down for days, including police and 311, and exposed sensitive data of its citizens and employees. Just a quick look at the value loss prevented by this team. The average total cost of a data breach in the U.S. is now up to $9.48 million, with the median cost per record of $160. The average cost of a ransomware attack globally is now $5.13 million. These numbers don't include the loss of public trust and reputation that goes along with every breach. And finally, I want to highlight the great work of our Digital Equity Response Program. This program started with the goal of extending and enhancing access to the internet, computer equipment, and digital skills and knowledge to the underserved community members and households affected by the pandemic. We received one-time funding from CARES and ARPA to quickly distribute digital resources and knowledge 
through partnerships with the Sacramento Public Library, the United Way, and our community-based organizations. We also executed an agreement with the United Way to allow the city to continue to provide important tools and economic relief to our residents after the one-time funding was exhausted. The pictures on this slide show a few of the individuals and families that we helped through this program. We used a grant from the state to complete a comprehensive broadband strategic plan for Sacramento last year. That plan was then used to apply for CPUC last mile federal funding to provide reliable and affordable internet access for all. We hope to hear the results of our application in the coming months and this project will go far to bridge the digital divide in the city. And finally, we're working closely with our partners at SHRA on a project to offer free Wi-Fi to Marina Vista and Alder Grove public housing communities. Manny Martinez from the IT operations sits on this project team and we have incorporated these housing communities into our broadband strategic plan to bring long-term connectivity to the site. I wanna dive into the specifics of the one-time federal funding. Um, first, here's the CARES Act numbers. Uh, we received just under a million dollars and were able to distribute 949 laptops and 1,852 Wi-Fi devices to those in need. We also were able to train 115 residents with digital literacy skills through our CBOs. The chart on the right shows a number of applicants by race and the distribution of laptops by council district. And then there was ARPA. We received 250,000 uh, for ARPA dollars that were used to distribute another 1,476 laptops to our residents. The map to the right depicts the recipients by council district. And I wanna end this presentation with a quote from Microsoft CEO, Setia Nadella, who said that information technology is at the core of how you do your business and how your business model itself evolves. There's one thing I know for sure from our recent history is that information technology helped evolve the city in our time of crisis during the pandemic and it will be called upon again to evolve the city during our tough economic times ahead. I'm here to tell you with the utmost confidence that this IT department is here and ready to lead that evolution. Thank you, and I'll be here to answer any questions that you may have. Right, um, I have Councilmember Guetta, then I know I have one, so go ahead, Councilmember. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for that presentation. I mean, we're all interconnected in different departments, but by far, I think the IT department is one that um, is, is much more independent on and has fragility with every department. Um, if the email goes down, we can't communicate, or even if our telecommunications goes down, then that's a problem with our public safety. Uh, but one of the, <clears throat> but it's become also the first point of contact also for the public. Um, and whether it's online or 311, and while you touch every different department, 311 by and large is, is what we've asked the public to be our central, uh, center point and, and front-facing part of our communication. Um, the frustration, I guess, that we hear constantly, and we've been evolving and moving over 311 um, since uh, at least we, we launched a, a significant change in early, I think, 2016, um, is how we better communicate outwardly as a as a as a city. So there's there's two parts here to this question. Number one, um, if there are impacts or cuts, how 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 is the how are, is the IT department prepping to ensure that communication and levels of service are responded to? And second, there's already a frustration at the moment 
of when someone calls 3101 for a particular issue, whether it's illegal dumping or uh, homelessness or whatever other case, that it doesn't get lost in the ether. And the responses sometimes have been, uh, if not more frustrating, of, of, of the reply back of how the issue is being resolved. So maybe if you can talk about that point, because it is the first touch point, other than a street, 311 almost is the first touch point for yeah. a lot of, of our residents. No, thank you for that. Yeah, and it's, um, like I mentioned, just investments into um, creating that visibility into the 311 process. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and so we're gonna be doing that with that customer 360 experience so that you know once a citizen enters a, or calls or, or enters a, a ticket online, they'll be able to know where their service request is at any point as well as getting updates from the field and, and finally case resolution, that's gonna go far. Um, and the other is just, we're just gonna have to make investments um, in technology more, uh, the virtual agent has been a huge success. We're gonna continue to expand the self-service options and relieve the agents a little bit more. Um, and, and then we're, like I mentioned, we're looking at it, uh, you know, we're looking at it, the, the whole 24-7 uh, approach to, um, through 311, uh, some of our partner agencies or partner cities, like uh, City of uh, Los Angeles, they're only open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And, and we've seen that, you know, I showed the numbers, 88% of all of our calls come in through those hours. So we're trying to figure out how to best align the department with, uh, to best serve our customers in need. Thank you, and then one last question on 311. Um, and this had to do with also with our Front Street shelter. And this is because a constituent, a constituent asked for an issue and a concern. And they uh, had to pay, they were noticed that, the, that if they don't update their citation for, uh, they don't, if they don't update their license for their, um, their uh, pet license, that they'll get a citation. Um, and uh, the, the two options to respond to a question is either, um, either uh, um, a, um, the 311 number or uh, emailing their information to Syracuse, New York. And so it seems to me that there's still um, some disconnect with some of our departments in our automation and then relying on some outside contractor to uh, update or validate vaccination certificates. So uh, just not an answer for today, but yeah. one, you gotta ask when your constituent no, asks. No, that's, that's good. Uh, it's looking at business processes and making sure that they make sense, right? And that's what we're gonna be doing when we're working with every uh, unit on the three customer 360. We're looking at the business processes as they are now and trying to see where we can make them better. So it's not just the technology, but it's actually looking at processes like you're talking about there. Thank you. You done, Councilmember? Okay, Councilmember Valenzuela. Thank you. Um, can't let your department get left out. Will everybody on your IT team please stand up so that we can recognize you and all you're doing? Thank you. So nice, we hardly get to see you, which is usually a good thing, because if we see you, that means something has gone really wrong, yeah. probably, in one of our meetings and someone's running around. Um, and thank you for the thorough presentation. I really want to also appreciate your team getting engaged at Marina Vista Alder Grove. I didn't know that you were looking at what's next. We secured that one-time money, Mayor, through ARPA for that community to get broadband, but it's time limited, right? So I'm really excited to hear that you're working on figuring out how to make that permanent. And since Tom Pace walked back in the room, Mr. Pace, we might need your help getting antennas and 
installed um, because that is we what's holding that. us up right now. We're so, already, um, we're good on that. Oh, we, good? Yeah, okay, good. A couple days out. ago, they were like, we yep. don't know. Okay, yep. I love it. Thank you again for all your teams yeah. doing. He's seeing some of those numbers just on the number of phishing emails and stuff. I mean, we were just shocked up here to see how much you're doing to protect the city's infrastructure. So just, yeah, I really appreciate all the stats you provided. and Good work, team. Thank you. Appreciate it. I just have one, if I may. Um, and, and, you know, the virtual agent expansion is fascinating. And I know that's a service provision, right? But I'm as interested in what you, are, are, you and your leadership are thinking about, um, about artificial intelligence. And specifically, whether or not some of the challenges we have around producing outcome-based data for, let's just say, our homeless projects, especially, you know, as we're talk, we're anticipating the, the hearing soon about the city-county partnership agreement and a lot of questions around outcomes, right? How many people actually do we intervene with? What are the uh, and controversy about what happens to those folks, right, um, between the rapid response side of things and the, um, and the service side? And I'm just wondering whether or not there's anything your department leadership can begin thinking about, maybe you already are, around artificial intelligence and trying to do a better job as government in producing consistent outcome-based data, especially when it comes to these major issues that we, we are facing. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, and that's why we started the data and analytics program, really. I didn't mention artificial intelligence, but that will be a big component of that. That data and analytics division um, is just started to, to make better you know, business decisions with all of the data we have. You saw we have 4.9 petabytes of data. So there's a lot of data out there that we have as well that we can get from partners to help make better business decisions. But um, Artificial intelligence will be part of that. We're, we're currently um, joining some of our uh, fellow partner cities, like the city of San Jose, in an AI coalition, just to find out where AI can interject and, be, uh, and do good with the government, right? And so we're yeah. starting to do that. And uh, go ahead. So I would just urge, Darren, that, um, you know, this is the old perfect, uh, the enemy of the good cliche, right, that <laughs> don't wait a year or two before you actually uh, put something out that might demonstrate the use of artificial intelligence around outcome-based data. If the quicker you can actually help the city and the county, really, maybe working with the county's IT right. folks around how we simplify the um, frustration, frankly, around not being able to tell the story, and it's not just a PR thing, but it is a, it's an actual, it's really about outcomes. Um, and we're gonna talk a lot about this in the next coming weeks as we, we assess the status of the city-county partnership agreement and our homelessness efforts. I mean, I could say all day, and I know Steps Forward does a lot of this. This is how many people we've gotten off the streets. This is how many people have entered homelessness, but it's even more micro than that, right? Um, tracking what happens to individuals um, when the, the interventions are made. There must be some, some easier data analytics, um, especially in this new world of artificial intelligence that would help us. Mayor, may, may I jump yeah, in here? Yeah, please. So I think we're, we have an upcoming uh, city-county partnership, uh, the four-by-two meetings. This should probably come up because uh, the, the legwork to do some of the things you're describing 
really is embedded in this whole discussion we're having about data sharing. So unless we're able to have access to data across all the different agencies, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the mechanism that Darren and company, I'm confident, can build for us is only as good as the information coming in. So we're, we're going to need to get our hands around the, the data. Understood. Uh, but I think it's a great idea. That way we could figure out if, if we have access to those various databases and that uh, we can track and follow the outcomes. With the, with the county, for example, right? I mean, and not, the, and the county doesn't carry all of that, so they work with their providers. So those are all the agreements we've been talking about through the four by two. So I, I think uh, I think that's you're on the right track here. Okay. Seed planted. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. We do now have, thank you, by the way, again, let's give him a hand, all the departments. Here, thank you all. We do have a public testimony. We do yes. have two speakers on this item. Lambert Davis, filed, followed, excuse me, by Ryan Masano. Yes, I, I would like to make sure my time is good. A um, couple of things. I noticed that uh, there's been a dilemma that caught my attention about there's a lot of openings at City Hall, but they're having difficulties filling the positions. I, I find that peculiar because there are college students graduating from universities all the time. There were people that came up here talking about Sac State, UC Davis. Uh, why are there such a why is there such a dis, uh, problem hiring people? Well, uh, this might be one of the reasons as well. Make sure you put that up there. Um, January 30th, I was at a meeting in this building, and it was abruptly ended. It was called the Race Equity Committee. And when it was ended abruptly, I didn't leave the chamber. I wanted to see what's going on in here. And I was approached by Lainey Milstein, and uh, she approached me about this article, which is on the H&R scandal. And, but it, the meeting was over, so I was wondering why anybody would talk to me. I'm not a city employee, so if I'm not a city employee, uh, I don't have a supervisor down here. So I, I should never be approached that should be investigated. And as I finish here, I noticed that when you asked three different departments to stand up, uh, I didn't really see that many black people. And I know a lot of people who have applied for jobs, applied for funding, applied for a lot of things, and they don't get hired, they don't get money, they don't get anything. And to end, this company should be getting all kinds of money. This is to the Bay and Back Cheesecakes, and this is from the Better Business Bureau, and we went viral during the Super Bowl and Valentine's. I, I would think you'd be calling me. Next. Ryan Masano. Slideshows that could operate on that too. 
That's a really good book <clears throat> by a gentleman who knew what was going on. And the past uh, two hours, we had a lot uh, that he covered in about 13 pages. Uh, I think everybody should look that up. It's not in your library and it's not in your schools, as you would expect. But um, also, we have, <clears throat> if you could make that clear, please, the bottom part. They will adjust it. You can proceed. Because I'm going to read off of it, so I want to see it too. That's the closest I'll be able to bring it up. Other speakers got theirs pretty clear. Well, <clears throat> it's a clever tactic. Anyway, the aims of cultural Marxism are to destroy white nations by inducing cultural pessimism, gain domination and control of the media, including schools, churches, and the government, in order to disseminate hostile Antarian ideas and ideals, reduce morale by promoting vices like alcohol and drug use, pornography, hyper-promiscuity, including homosexuality, and even hyper-consumerism to weaken resistance to creeping totalitarianism. Promote the idea that non-whites are an oppressed class, and we heard an entire meeting on that, and that whites are their oppressors in order to weaponize them against whites. Create the concept of racism and racism offenses in order to punish whites who dare to defend themselves against the racial onslaught. That's what your, uh, your initial land acknowledgement is all about. That completes speakers for this item. All right. Um, do you take council ideas and questions here? Okay, council ideas and questions. Councilmember Vang. Thanks, Mayor. I just have some quick announcement, <clears throat> given that this is our um, only council meeting for today. So just wanted to make uh, a few announcements. As you know, this month uh, we're celebrating a Lunar New Year, and there are several uh, amazing uh, events happening in our district, and just wanted to announce them. Um, there is going to be the Year of the Dragon celebration hosted by the Chinese New Year Culture Association happening, happening at Luther Burbank. That's at 3500 from 11 to 5 p.m. this Saturday, so if you're available. Uh, this is a free community event with cultural demonstration, uh, games for our kids, uh, um, ethnic food, and uh, community resources, so really encourage you to all come out if you're around the Luther Burbank area. And then another event, which is in District 5, but it right, it's right across District 8, is our South Sacramento Tet uh, celebration happening um, at 4562 Mac Road, where SF Market is at on Mac Road. Uh, it is a two-day free celebration. On Saturday, it's from 11 to 8, and then on Sunday, it's from 11 to 6. There's carnival rides, cultural arts, music, food, uh, performances. Um, there's also going to be lion dances, fashion shows, um, and so much more. It's a free community event, so encouraging folks to come out for those two days. Um, and then lastly, just want to give a shout-out to the Rec uh, Reclamation Project 916. Our young people is leading the first-ever Youth Racial Economic Justice Summit. It's a Sacramento County-wide gathering of social justice organizer, advocates, grassroots um, organizer, and encouraging folks to come uh, to that. That's going to be this Sunday, uh, February 25th, from 1 to 6 at Luther Burbank. So it's going to be a really fun-filled pack weekend in South Sacramento District 8 and wanted to make sure that I announced those events. Thanks, Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember Bragg. We now have uh, public testimony items not on the agenda. We have five people, so let's hear from them. Our first speaker is Guy Stimson, followed by Lambert Davis. I don't want you uh, people to think I'm uh... an idiot, so this is what I'm going to say. 
The last time I was here, I come off harsh, but I'm about law and order, period. I'm about the Brown Act, which you two violated, and I'm about the First Amendment, all right? I myself would never, never tolerate what these two, by turning their chair around, you can laugh all you no, want. No, please speak to the full council, because sir. Guy, please speak to the full council. I'm going to tell you, i got a surprise for you. Right to the full council. I'm talking. Let me finish. You see this? This is a federal lawsuit against you people for violating, one, the Brown Act, to the First Amendment, because you've been violating it right straight. When a person comes up here to talk, you pick and choose what they say and how you want to entertain that. I know you're a lawyer, and I'm not afraid of you, because I have a better lawyer, all right? And we go to different city councils from here all the way to San Diego. And do you know how many we've won? All of them. You know why? Because we know what we're doing. We're a team of people. We make people accountable for what their behaviors are. I've never seen in any city council what you two done. Turning your chair around, facing a wall. I could believe that if you were like this tall and you were five years old. But I'm just giving you this heads up. This has already been filed with the district court. The U.S. Marshals, on my say, will serve you if you keep violating people's First Amendment and Brown Act. Believe me when I tell you that. I'm not selling you dreams. I'm telling you. Thank you. Lambert Davis, followed by Kai Ohm. To the bay and cheese back. See many times we hear that. I didn't, I'm a baby boomer. I didn't really even understand viral or TikTok or uh, Instagram. But look at what she did during uh, the Super Bowl. To the band back cheesecakes. To the band back cheesecakes. No, it's going to be a good day. With the to the band back cheesecakes. One bite will change your life. One bite will change your life. One bite will get you right. One bite will get you right. To the band bag cheesecakes. To the band bag cheesecakes. No, it's gonna be a good day. With it to the band bag cheesecakes. One bite will change your life. One bite will get you right. To the band bag cheesecakes. To the band bag cheesecakes. No, it's gonna be a good day. With the to the band bag cheesecakes. Now that's a song by someone who came to me and said, uh, this is exactly what she said, they're, they're hating on you as a, whatever you're trying to accomplish. And I said, well, I didn't know what that meant. So I said, well, let's, let's go somewhere, in and out, teenager, guaranteed. And she enlightened me on this song, turned out, that it went viral, when it's on TikTok. We've gone viral in Los Angeles, the Bay Area, Sacramento, and we didn't hardly get any money from this city. We have had no scandals on us. 
How do you get the Better Business Bureau to tell you that you had no complaints? And this is in the food industry. You got to have one complaint. This city should be contacting us. Kai, followed by Julius. Good afternoon, Mayor and all the council member. Uh, my name is Kai On. Uh, I was told that my father was killed in a hit and run case at downtown Sacramento. However, I'm not able to get the statement from the driver from uh, Sacramento Police Department. Also, I'm not able to get a written confirmation from Sacramento Police Department to tell me my father was killed in a hit and run case. So it seemed that my father's case was not a hit, hit and run. So um, it seems somebody provide me fake information. And I'm begging all the council members can take a look to see why somebody tried to cover up the truth of my father's death. Let us try to help you here, at least set you up with the right person to have yeah. a conversation. Mayor, uh, so our uh, assistant city manager, Mario Lara, connected with Mr. On. Uh, he's in the back room. Maybe we could follow up with him, too, because as I understand it, uh, there was a case that was prosecuted and the person was uh, sent to jail. Maybe there's some additional information that we're missing, but uh, uh, Mario, well, what's can, can... Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more so that we... So what Mr. the city manager just said... Ah. Is that there is a there, there was action taken? So what is the concern specifically? So we can focus um, our help. The first thing uh, I, I went I stopped contacting Sacramento Police Department in uh, July last year. Uh, until now, I'm still not able to get the statement from the driver or from the defendant that killed my father. Also, it seemed the case was not a hit and run. But somebody told me it was a hit, hit and run. So I request Sacramento Police Department, the chief, to provide me a handwritten confirmation to tell me yep. what's so the case. Your time is up, but let me ask you. So you're looking, that's okay. You're looking for a report. Is that what you're looking for? Like a full report of, uh, of what occurred? First of all, we're no, so sorry. A, we're a so written confirmation. Okay. To tell me if... You're well, looking my father for was killed by hit and one or not. You're looking for some official document or report, if it exists, um, that describes what happened to your dad. And by the way, on behalf of all of us, we're very, very sorry for your loss. If, if that's what you're looking for, let Mr. Lara, that focuses a little bit. Let's see if there's something that is a public document that we can provide to you so that you have that, you have that, um, mm information which you deserve. Uh, actually, I just uh, request a written confirmation from the police chief. That, that what? That, that, that tell me that if my father was killed by hit and one or not a hit and one, she denied to do it. Okay. Since so I'm not sure exactly in what form. The, it has to be a public document and who it's signed by might be somebody else, but as long as it's a public document that describes what you're talking about. Let's see if we Mr. can Mayor, get you that. Maybe, yes. maybe we could work with the district attorney's office as well. It was a public okay. case. It was prosecuted. We can try and pull down we'll some try, documents. We'll try to help you and get you as much as we can, okay? Okay. Fair enough, but start with Mr. Lara back there. Okay. Okay? Thank you for coming to City Hall, and we're very sorry again.
Okay. Julius followed by Ryan Masano. Not sure if Julius is. Okay. Right, Julius is here. Yeah. Good afternoon. This message is to all of Sacramento, to California, to America, and to the world. I am demanding the mayor and the city council to uphold the First Amendment of the Constitution and California's Brown Act. You may disagree with what I have to say. What I have to say needs to be said without interruption. I am proposing as a Christian and a concerned citizen that Sacramento defund Planned Parenthood. I would like for Sacramento and frankly all of California to eradicate Planned Parenthood. Abortion is murder and the Bible tells us thou shalt not kill and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Unborn lives matter just as much as born lives. A better solution instead of Planned Parenthood uh, are Christian pregnancy crisis centers to help women in dire need rather than guide them to the slaughter. Secondly, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is racist by definition. It paints the picture that non-whites need a helping hand from the government as if to imply that non-whites are less skillful based on color of skin. Sacramento does not have a skin problem. Sacramento has a sin problem, but through, repent through, through repentance, we can all come back to Christ. Every American has the opportunity to become a better version of themselves without the need of government. The only reason Americans suffer through what I call the plan-demic is because of our incompetent government shutting down schools, mandating masks, and COVID vaccines. America needs to wake up and realize that these so-called leaders do not care about you. I, er I urge Americans, as well as myself, to look into who you're voting for. Otherwise, you will always be deceived by race narrative, gender, oppre gender oppression, and so on. Thank you. Our final speaker is Ryan Masano. Turn that on if you would. Please <clears throat> do not accept what I say. Please research the thousands of books on my website, MasanoNews.com. I highly recommend taking pictures because you will never learn this information on television, radio, in schools or college, on social media or in the library. You know something is wrong when those in power are desperately attacking the First Amendment and are trying to silence American citizens. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursues. To find out who rules over us, find out who we aren't allowed to criticize. And there's a long list of, <laughs> Uh, eventually there's going to have to be, if we have technology, we need to be able to read everything that's, there's been other speakers that had no problem um, being seen. So that's going to have to be altered. But anyways, one group is responsible for a lot of evil. They put Christ to death. They instigated World War I. They instigated a genocide of Hungarians under Book Bela Kuhn. They own all Hollywood studios. They own the magazines. They own the newspapers. They own the social media platforms. They own the porn industry, using it to demoralize. They print the school books. They control Wall Street, the Federal Reserve, and the income tax. They control the school system. They control the FBI, the IRS, the CIA, the NSA, the EPA, the UN, and all the alphabet agencies. They ran the transatlantic slave trade, now blame it on whites. They 
starved 12 to 18 million Ukrainians to death under the Holodomor. They were behind the Chinese Communist Revolution. They were behind the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. They instigated the Spanish Revolution. They started the French Revolution. They started World War II, blamed the Germans. They stole Israel in 1948 after the 1916 Rothschild Balfour Declaration. They control Facebook, Twitter, all the newspapers, and no one reads the lying Sacramento Bee. There's nothing else to come before uh, the city council. We do have a closed session. Uh, we'll start, say, at five minutes after four. Uh, we are adjourned. Um.